The Coco Nation Show is an unscripted, live, and interactive broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own, and not necessarily those of the Coco Nation Show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds are encouraged, and a sense of humor is recommended. Thank you for being a part of the Coco Nation. Radio Shack. Okay. What? The 80s called. Welcome to the Coco Nation. The world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Nation Show, episode 327. How's everybody doing? Good. Outstanding. Excellent. Yeah. I'm sitting. We made it through another week. <laughs> yes, you are correct. <laughs> Next week, who knows? All right, let's see. Who we got on here with us today? Starting in the lower right-hand corner, we got Jason, CocoMan.biz. Oh, I'm first. How did that happen? Did Marco move around? No, I, I oh. flipped the script today. Oh, you flipped the script. Oh, right. Now. Well, I, I, I wasn't quite ready yet. I didn't have my Diet Dr. Pepper yet. All right. Next up, we got Kevin Holloway. Hello, everybody. And Bob Emery. Howdy, everyone. And back from his trip around the world to wherever it was. Ken Waters. Infinity and beyond. I've got my strong coffee, so I'm ready for the news. <laughs> All right. I need a bigger cup. He who I will catch unaware, Brian Weasler. <laughs> <laughs> Hello all. Welcome to the show. No, I was uh, I was waiting for my name here. I just needed to mute there for a second. So I'm I'm ready for you. Bring it all on. All right. Next up, Rondelvo. Hello from the blazing hot area of Arizona. Hello, everybody. Okay. And El Curtis Boyle. Coming from a place that actually is about room temperature right now. <laughs> hey, let's see. Top row, yours truly. Hi. And we got uh, Rick Uland. Howdy, folks. And Slippy Malibu, if he's back from getting his smokes. And nope. Mark Overhoser. And Mark B., you said you were high. I'm here. <laughs> that I was high? Yeah. Oh, no, I was saying high. Oh, okay. And last but not least, who <laughs> snuck in at the last second, Nick Marentes. Good day, everyone. I just woke up. <laughs> so I just made it in the door. Just turned off the alarm, huh? 
That's Don't worry, you can, go to you can go back to bed when the news comes on. Are you Is still in your right? pajamas? Are you still in your <laughs> yes. cocoa pajamas? Yep, so. Yes. <laughs> Does your alarm play uh, William Tell Overture by Coco? No. no. <laughs> no his, his, his alarm clock plays Waltzing Matilda. Mm. That's it. Mm. Okay, let's see. Um, first up, project updates. Rick, what you got for us today? Oh, me, so soon? Okay, <laughs> well, um, I guess last week at the uh, Chaos Communications Camp in Germany, they were playing with Coco. Where's Iowa the pin? Spotlight, there yeah. it is. Uh, they found a problem with the 3B3 bus, and it seemed to work out. This little piece here had gotten broken. So um, I had to dig out the old shop tools and stick little bitty bodge wires on, but through the magic of being the manufacturer, I know exactly where to put the bodge wires. And uh, checking around, there are places in the 3v3, well, near the regulator, it's noisy, it's horrible. These little low, low dropout regulators, really spiky noisy on the bus. That's what capacitors that. are for. Exactly, that's what these big old capacitors are here for, the common. And you'll notice all of the uh, 3v3 chips have clusters of capacitors around them where the uh, five volt chips never do. They have like one cap and there's your chip and you're done. So I guess we all learned something. Um, I tested it out though, and that's not a problem. It's actually working just fine. So it turns out it's just where you measure it really counts. Um, but that worked into an update because since I had to keep it is that, out. Is that the ant program running on there? Uh, this is life. This is the remote uh, to do a load test. We're actually booting uh, Henry Strickland's net boot, which runs. We aren't running a life on the Cocoa. We're running a screen viewer on the Cocoa, which manages to get more than 30 frames per second of a Linux server running life oh, in California somewhere. <laughs> you're, oh. you're not fooling us. You're bit mining. <laughs> right, and we're going to bit mine everyone's cocos once we take over. Um, because hey, here, off my here's, how, here's how that's going to happen. The, the newer version, since I had the, uh, the GUI out, the keycat up, I went on and finished the uh, uh, flash RAM version where we can put Henry's boot ROM on flash RAM and not need to have the STC to do the run at four trick on. So I think I made it. <laughs> I'm going to have to look through it Monday and make sure there's no it, problems. Rick, does that mean that with, with this new flash room, does that mean you could actually just plug this directly into a Cocoa, no multi-pack, no SDC, and actually boot on and access the net directly? Exactly so. That's cool. That's, that's, that's the end game. And I was going to have a video. I didn't get it made in the time. He's got EOU, remote bootable. And it's not that slow if you were compare it to old style floppies with the original seek speed and everything, that's about the speed of it over the network from California to Milwaukee. So, I mean, it didn't look so good at the fest, but I'm sure that was more an issue of getting into the fest, the venue, than the actual speed over the internet at random. You know, so. hmm. I would have thought actually the network card would have been faster than a floppy boot. Well, that's basically matching drive wire and that's like serial port speeds. Well, yeah, but this is over this is from California to Milwaukee over the over the internet at large. If you run it all over a local machine, yeah. But if all you got your cocoa 
and the Coco IO and you plug in a wire into your AT&T cable router, it's kind of floppy speed for mass, you know, for massive downloads. Can you show us with the mouse where the um, circuit is that does the real-time clock? No, because you just run a network time protocol, <laughs> yeah. NTP. Yeah, and I, I know. Get your, just get your time from the network. We have the internet now. We don't need no stinking clock. Okay. <laughs> okay. Because uh, like, if I'm trying to remember like the, the the chip you guys are using there, like it's capable of like megabit speeds, right? Uh, it's it's a 10100 interface, but it's fast. It's as fast as the Cocoa Bus can handle. Um, but well, yeah, because because a floppy drive runs about 6k per second, and I know booting off hard drives back in the day was several multiple times that. Well, but you have to keep in mind at this point, we're just dumping ease of use over the network. There's no optimizations at all. There's oh, no okay. So this is like planning. this raw test code. It's just, here come the bikes, folks. Get them. <laughs> okay. No optimization, no TFM, nothing. It's just ah, oh, there you go. But uh, looking promising. So anyway, that's my update. Is uh, cool. I think we we're, we got put put us in your uh, thoughts and prayers because <laughs> there's a lot of assumptions on this design here, and I uh, I think it's right, but we'll know soon. Cool. I'm looking forward to this. Cool. Excellent. And that's me for the week. Okay. Uh, Brian, you ready to go? You muted, Brian. Still muted. Still muted. There we go. How's that? Is that better? Yeah, we can hear you now. You can hear the sweet, mellow tones of my voice. So, anyway. Indeed. <laughs> um, okay, so first off, I wanted to show... This thing here, I was kind of searching for some other stuff and uh, came across another thing in this lot that I uh, that I acquired and I thought I would share it with the group here. Let me uh, switch cameras. Whoops, why I keep turning it off all the time? There we go. There. Super sound. Let me stop touching my desk here and maybe we'll stop getting the shaky cam going on here. Um, I was I did a search on the archive and I didn't see anything for super sound out there. Um, I do remember it from rainbow ads, but yeah, I believe this is a Coco three. Yep. Product Coco three only. Yep. And because it talks about uh, if you, you know, if you have a Coco three, that's greater than 128 K, you can you can use the upper banks there for some some extra storage there. I just started kind of reading it. Uh, I might actually get it together and maybe try to play with it a little bit. Um, it came with uh, with the software disk, and it also comes with this cable. There we go, which uh, I'm assuming just goes right through into the. Uh, I'm not sure if this is the cassette. No, this looks like the joystick. Five or six. It's six pins. Joystick. Six. Yeah, it's probably going through the six bit uh, analog to digital. Yeah. Yep. And it'll record sound, basically. It's a sound sampler. Yep. And I just started reading it. I was I wanted to show it to, to the group there, see if anybody was familiar with it. And uh, But I was going to play with it and see if I can't do a little bit of a, maybe do a, a live demo or something one of these yeah. weekends or something. I think so. if I remember correctly, there is a copy of Super Sound Sampler, which was kind of a giveaway disc they used to give away at Fests that had okay. samples they'd made with it. So I think that's on the archive, but I don't remember if the actual... Yeah, I just software. did a quick search for I just did a quick quick search for super sound spelled the way that it is there, and I didn't see anything come up. But uh, um, uh, if there's not, I'll definitely get this uh, get this archive together and scanned. I'll add to my list of stuff that's quickly piling up of 
<laughs> I'm going to need to take a week of vacation and just get all my scanning and everything <laughs> yeah. done that I need to get done. Yeah. It's, try try it's, searching for supersound as two words because they might have put the space in it when they uploaded it. Oh, okay. That's possible. I just did a quick search before, before the show there. But uh, yeah. So but these, these were popular. I think, was it Hot Cook or Rainbow actually did a program you could do, just type it in and you could record like a P-Mode 4 screens where the sound couple seconds basically but this uses coco 3 speeds and gets better quality better fidelity okay and much larger because like you said it goes up to the five okay i don't know if they ever patched it for the one and two meg machines that'd be interesting but it, talk, it goes through all the different menu options that you have and what they do and then it talks about uh, adding sounds to your programs and i guess a little sample program that you can use here and some of the uh the addresses that you can take advantage of So yeah, maybe I'll play around with that and see. Uh, maybe I can do a little demo with it. Yeah, because so. that cable, if I remember, you can just plug it into a microphone or cassette recorder or whatever. To yeah, it's just a just a uh, mono uh, headphone jack, basically. Yep. Yeah, I'm. I'm going to guess. Yeah, you yell into the cassette, and it makes enough amplification <laughs> so that the oh. <laughs> monitor out is enough for the joystick, and sure. that's how you do your. Yeah. Either you're sampling that way. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, I suppose if you had audio on it on a tape as well, you could probably do it. Yeah. You, you, you can digitize tapes. Account. I did do that with the Coco One and Two version way back when. Right. We we'll have to so, tone okay. out that cable too, so we can make our own cables. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Well, That's a pretty simple cable. So. Yeah. It's yeah. Be. Yeah. Probably nothing fancy about that one. Almost simple enough for me to make one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's probably very similar to the cable I was making the uh, the uh, with the didgeridoo cable. Yeah, it's well. Let's see. I have a couple other cables that are laying here. Yeah, because I had this one here, which this looks very similar. It has the same six-pin DIN. This happens to have a stereo jack on it, though. But uh, I think this was a similar cable, and then there was also this one here. But this one has just the the five here. Whoops. Yeah, that's so there are there are two samplers since there's X and Y on the joystick, so it makes sense stereo one for each. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, next up, uh, last week you guys saw me show my uh, overly priced fifty-five cent Coco two box that I, <laughs> I happen <laughs> to happen to acquire. Well, there was another listing out on uh, out on the uh, the world of eBay. And uh, I just thought I'd kind of share it. This one's going to need some attention. Oops, let me back the camera up just a little bit here. Oop, by the way, not that way. Coffee, I'd say. There we go. Whoops. There we go. It's probably about as best it's going to get. So there was a grouping of Coco 2 boxes. This one's going to need a little uh, little mending here because the, the lid's all falling apart and stuff. So I'm going to have to – here's the side tabs. I'm going to do a little mending, though. But this was a, a – just a Coco 2 box. And again, I have some Cocos that are out of boxes. And so I might try to get some of these patched back up and, uh, uh, you know, maybe use some tape on the bottom to try to get this back into some sort of, uh, uh, you know, so it's in a usable form here and uh, come up with something for some blocking. I thought about using a hot wire and some foam and actually cutting out my own foam blocks or something like that. But uh, there was this one. And then... Uh, with that same lot, there was this box as well, similar. Uh, this one's for a uh, 26, 31, 34B. 
So they're not, not in the greatest shape as far as cosmetics go, but uh, this one actually did have the uh, the blocking with it, so that was kind of nice. So I'll, I'll see if I have a computer that can go into that one there. And then also another box. This one's for a 263026. This one doesn't have any blocking, though, but... Uh, so there was a... That doesn't have the glossy finish, does it? Nope. Yes, you've become yeah. a connoisseur of the rag board... Korean <laughs> boxes versus the proper this, paperboard US boxes. Right? Yeah. There you go. It's definitely and then another one, good. another one for a 3026. And this one had the this one had the blocking as well. Um, yeah, that's I an older that, one because it's got the Radio Shack logo instead of Tandy. Right. Yeah. Yep. The first gen Coco twos. Good yep. manly cardboard too. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see here. Oh, this one here. This one didn't have the blocking though, but this but we did uh one of the boxes did have a uh a cover in it, so uh, the Radio Shack and the Color Computer Two. It's not so, yellow at all. No, but yeah. it does have a little bit of a film. I have to say, so I may well, have to wash. Well, it gets sticky after a while. Yeah, yeah. And I may have to wash my hands after this one here. This one's yeah. going to need a good cleaning though. So, but uh, yeah, I'll get that all cleaned up. So that was kind of nice to have that in the lot. So, well, yeah, so it was. For... It, it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, it was wasn't expensive though. But it was. Uh, there was a, a a listing out there with four, um, four boxes all in one big group. And so I picked it up. It, it was pretty reasonable price actually. So it was nice to kind of save those. And I got some Cocos that'll find new homes in them. Um, the next thing I was going to share with you guys. <clears throat> so a while back, you saw me share this color computer too, that came with this cartridge made by this company called high tech. And uh, it's a company that made marquee systems. And so from what I was been able to determine so far is that they made their own proprietary cartridge, which really just has a ROM inside there and some LEDs and a simple board. And this would interface to whatever marquee sign that they were selling. And they sold it with a color computer too, because it kind of came as a whole package that they would sell to their customer, which I thought was kind of interesting that, you know, there's companies out there that rather than reinventing the wheel, it's like, well, hey, we got this color computer too. Let's... Let's build a ROM cartridge and we'll plug this in and we'll sell this as a package to our to our customers. Yeah, Bill Bill Noble was involved with one like that with the Coco 3 that did the similar thing. It was for controlling signs. For controlling signs? Okay. Yeah. So I was hoping was... he was going to be on today. He could have actually talked to you about it. But uh, as <laughs> I did complain in the pre-show, he got hurt at work a little bit there, so he wasn't able to make oh, it. Oh, shoot. I'm sorry to hear that. Is that a T1, Coco? Looks like it. Um, it may be. I don't know. 27b yep it's a b no it's a it's a uh no this is a uh, 31 uh this is the 34b wow. 34b so so there was, I, I just wanted to show this one because of what i'm going to show you guys next and i can't remember if i show if i had shown this one or not but uh, i wanted to maybe reshare it so i come across this one here a while back i don't know if i'd ever put this on the show or not there's a company out there called thermal patch and they actually took the, the 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 cocoa label off, and they put their own big label out here. And this is just, this is a cocoa three, and they actually had their own ROM cartridge too that they had uh, that they put in there. This Thermal Patch Corporation uh, thermal uh, thermal label writer label printing program version uh, 1.0007, and you can see the copyright here is 1987, and. This thing turns on still, but it has some issues that I need to troubleshoot. I, I think I've narrowed it down to the processor, um, but I've tried this ROM cartridge 
in a working Coco 3, and all I get is a green screen. So I think there might be something wrong with this, and maybe that's what caused some damage to this. So I'm a little reluctant to plug this into another Coco 3 until I uh, get it fully trouble, uh, get some troubleshooting mm -hmm. done. But uh, but anyway, again, this uh, what I thought was kind of interesting is here's a company out there that needed a computer or some type of you know way of controlling their printer and interfacing with it and rather than going and reinventing the wheel again let's you know they they made their own proprietary cartridge and threw a different label on it because on the bottom what's that so it's very likely that it also depends on having their printer plugged into the coco 3 when it boots so that might be your own yeah problem. i was thinking of that same thing thank you for saying that yeah i was thinking that too that maybe this program is looking for looking for the printer to be plugged into the back um yeah, and, and just locks uh, up waiting to get a response. Yep. And so that, uh, but, uh, they left the stickers on the bottom and everything, but, uh, um, nothing really special inside. It is just a, they didn't do any sort of modification or anything to it. No, it's even what? just stock 128K, but it looks good. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, just maybe, maybe, maybe if you can dump the ROM out, we can figure out if that's what it's trying to do. Oh, okay. Yeah. I haven't peeled the label on this yet. So, but, uh, Hey, Ken, I have an idea for next week's game. <laughs> Thermal patch. <laughs> <laughs> so along that lines, let me grab this one here. And this is the one I just recently acquired. Some of you may have seen it if you happen to have stumbled across it on eBay. It's been out there for a while. Um, I had messaged well, the yeah, seller. It's, it's the New York Times color computer that's been out there for years no, actually, seven actually years john, actually john linville john linville is the owner of that he oh, mentioned really? uh, yep a couple months ago he had mentioned it on their program that he uh he actually acquired that so well, back in the day you know that was like three three hundred dollars yep. yeah and, back, yeah, back when other cocos were selling for like 25 right. or 30 so so now <laughs> it, it's right in line with the rest of uh everything that's being sold yeah that 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 listing there was a just a color computer two with a some sort of a uh, a cartridge that came with it. I believe he determined it was maybe some sort of an interface to some kind of a printer. So maybe it was something with the, with the, you know, the New York times, as far as, you know, some sort of printer that they had that it would dump, you know, maybe they had a program that they ran on and it would dump to it. But yeah, I don't know what he paid for it, but uh, he, he speaks or he spoke about the fact that he shot him a price and maybe they must've finally decided to budge on it. And, and uh, cause it, again, it had kind of become a little bit of a, a pun line because it had been out there for so long. So um, this one is similar was out there and I had my suspicions about what I was going to be getting. Um, I did negotiate a price with them because they, and I had tried messaging them several times and they didn't really budge. And this time they finally did. So what I have here is another Coco. They relabeled it and it's this company biosystems, Inc. Posi, uh, posi check and it has this 15 pin ribbon cable coming out the side of it but what's kind of unique is on the back there's this plate that they put over the ports the rom cartridge slot is blocked and they peeled all the labeling off, but you can see a couple of screws here. So I had my suspicions about what's going on here with these screws, and my prediction was right. And so I'm glad that I was right, but yet sad that I was right. And then let me remove the cover, and I'll tell you why, or I'll show you why. 
They're cloning a, little puppies. No motherboard. It. They're just using the keyboard. No motherboard. Exactly right. They're <laughs> using just the keyboard. So um, the case is in pretty good shape, though. Yeah. Yeah. Alan, Alan didn't join us, did he? He didn't. Uh, oh, Alan, right. Did, did, Alan, is... did Alan join us here? I was going to. No, I don't see Alan on the show. So Alan and I were talking about this, and he made an observation, and I believe that he is correct. Um, I did a, a little bit of Google searching with this company here called PosiCheck. And what they are is they're a company that makes equipment for testing scuba gear, like the uh, the respirator or whatever that that the, you know, mm-hmm. part that you put in your mouth. Reg- regulator. Regulator. Thank you. Um, so they make equipment for testing that, and there actually is newer versions of their equipment that uh, connects to a computer and talks about a USB port and things. But back in the day, they uh, they they looks like they were buying cocos and doing this to it. And Alan's thought, and I think Alan is is right on par. Probably what they did was they took the system board out, put this interface board for the keyboard because that's all this is. Right. And they put uh, they put this little block right here, which keeps it. And the, the the spring and the the flap is still here. You just can't open it because of this little uh, piece that they Plank put in there. Screwed on it. Yeah. And what Alan is thinking, and I think he's right, that they took the Coco Two board out and they installed it into a box, let's say, where they had their sensors at, or the whatever it is that they would hook to test the respirator, and made a mm-hmm. program. So. They use this as just a an ex, like you know how it was, it was uh, people would keyboard. extend their keyboards back in the day. You know they would take right. the keyboard out and extend it. They essentially did the same thing. So this could be setting off to the side, and then they had the test mm-hmm. gear over on the table where they would hook up the regulator, and then they would uh. run the program. So what I'm what I'm wondering is, is there <clears throat> boxes out there with Coco two boards in them, with maybe a custom ROM or something right. that would run their program, and I only have half of the puzzle here. So I would this, say don't hold your breath. <laughs> does, does the, this, uh... this, this is in such good shape. I would ask the question, like the sprues on the transformer, has there ever been sprues in those holes? Yeah, yes, there is. About, yep. Yeah, the holes are the holes are threaded here. Oh, so it was used and then disassembled. It's not like they got cases and keyboards somewhere. Yeah, I, I kind of thought that cool. same thing, but I do see threaded. These are threaded here, and well, these would have been threaded to put it together. But uh, I was trying to see if I could find signs of right because um, the transformer would be it because those were threaded well, when the, you drove the screws. The so yeah, motherboard mounting the the motherboard mounting posts. They yep, have so, the same thing. Yep, these are these are threaded right here as well. So yeah, they took the board out and used it. In a nice safe box, I bet because scuba implies salt, salt air. And, yep, and yeah. so they uh, they may have had a box that they put the Coco Two in, and then they would they somehow the, their regulator tester, let's just call it that, I guess, um, maybe plugged into you know one of the ports of the Coco. And so um, I don't know. I, I reached out to the seller to see if maybe mm. they because the, the 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 seller of this is a company that is an eBay company. And if you look at their other items that they had for sale, it's across the board. It was a surplus company. So it looks like some sort of a company that would buy either maybe surplus parts or maybe e-waste or something like that. And they just have all sorts of, I mean, it's across the spectrum of stuff that they have. So I, I did, I did ping them back and just say, Hey, by any chance, would you have had this other piece of equipment, you know, 
but mm -hmm. uh, we'll see. Maybe someday, maybe I'll stumble across uh, another posi check, but the actual tester itself, um, that would be cool. And if there was a Cocoa 2 board in there, that would even just be, you know, nice. really cool. But Brian, you so, said posi check is still around. They just use modern equipment with USB stuff? Well, yeah, there's a company that, that that's since acquired them. Um, and so I was going to try to message them. I, I, I just started doing the research this week. Um, but, uh, I may try to reach out to them and maybe they might be able to offer me something or um, contact with some of the original people that were there or something. Maybe. Yeah. So that would be, it'd be interesting to find out the story if that's what they were doing. So, cause, and the only reason I say that the reason why I think Alan's observation is correct is that, and, uh, maybe one of you can add to this though it seemed like kind of a costly choice to buy a perfectly right. good Coco 2 just to get a keyboard. Yeah, especially case. considering Radio Shack sold Coco or Deluxe Coco keyboards off the shelf for like 39 bucks. Yeah, and if all you're doing is getting the case and extending it, it you probably could have bought any type of a keyboard, you know, and interfaced yeah. it that way. So that's right. why I kind of like Alan's idea that they took the they took the board out and put it into another box and then they used this as basically just the keyboard terminal and and then this right. this connector here would then plug into the uh, box, yeah. right into their box, and basically they just turned the cocoa into a remote keyboard, is what they did. Right, so, this is all waterproof and rust proof and everything yep. else proof. So yep. So anyway, I thought this was kind of interesting. I just happened to stumble across it because it it wasn't listed in any fashion of like TRS eighty or color computer or anything. It was just uh, I just happened to I think maybe ebay's algorithm you know where it tries to find similar things like hey well here's some other stuff that maybe you might find interesting that's how i happen to uh, do they have any stickers on the bottom or did they leave the radio shack ones no they completely peeled it clean okay the only sticker the only sticker is the one saying passed <laughs> but everything else is peeled off so so um maybe uh they used os9 <laughs> that's a so, t1 yeah, I would love to see that other box. Maybe there's a hacked up motherboard with wires bodged into it, all kinds of nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I mean, obviously, I mean, with the Coco, you have two, uh, you know, you have several analog inputs and uh, you got easy to, you know, make a custom. Somebody wrote up a program, you could burn it to a ROM and plug that into the ROM cartridge of the board. So, you know, like this uh, thermal printer one that I just uh, uh, shared with the group. Right. So, but no, I just kind of find it kind of interesting that there was companies out there. Does anybody know if there's like companies that were using other retro computers? I mean, were people doing this with Apple's or Commodore's or other oh, brands? Yeah. Or yeah. Uh, there's a whole bunch of lighting control for like theater and stage stuff that's done with the Apple II. Okay. Um, yeah. Also, yeah. Um, some of the early um, some of the early sound cards I had with the Apple, they were doing like uh, training simulators for like medical. They do like like heart defibrillation stuff so that they could train people what to listen for. But they would actually sell a Apple computer as part of the package. There was like somebody who wanted the this theater package. Stuff. Okay. Yeah. Theater stuff. Yeah. Oh, also um, some Apple II E's were used for controlling um, um, uh, uh, planetariums, okay. uh, controlling, controlling the uh, shows. And as far as I know, they were also done as a whole package. I, I uh, do know the, there were some OS nine machines that also did the planetarium controls. I heard that from some of the people at microware because they'd sold it to them. That would make but sense. They sold, it, they sold it as a package where they would sell the color computer and the, the software and everything together as a package then. So yeah. um I'm not sure if they use Cocos or some other OSI machine, but I know like the, the Treasure Island uh in Las Vegas, the uh casino had that show that ran every half an hour with actors and stuff, but also the ships would sink and they'd fire cannons. Most of that was controlled by an OS9 program as well. Before you could just 
before you could just grab a random PC clone, it would make a lot more sense to just sell the right computer for your stuff with your stuff. Right. And call it known quantities. Yeah. The, the cable guide network uh, and the weather channel. Uh, early ones used in Atari 130XE and later ones used in Amiga. Amiga. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. I think and I there were some TV before. studios I saw. They they had a Coco hooked up to do their little graphics between shows and stuff because they were actually were running the VDG to do it. So, yeah, a lot of Amigas. <laughs> I've did seen a that. few of those. Yeah. Because it was just a cheap way to make a character generator and stuff that you could do, like, you know, coming up next. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's because a Genlock was available starting with the Amiga 1000. Oh, even before that, though, they would just record it directly off the RF signal. Yeah. The Amiga took it to a whole new level with the toaster and stuff. So, yeah. Well, the, 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 the Amiga 1000, the first released, one of the first things that was made and sold with it was the Genlock. Um, it was within six right. months of the release of the machine. Yeah. Which, remembering when I was a kid, the Amiga Genlock was better than the network TV 1970s cost is no object gen locks that they put up the little commercials during the football games and stuff <laughs> which could only do wide over over the background screen playing and nothing more by the way um uh, brian we have a comment from mark siegel of course he worked at tandy at the time he said uh, they may have bought parts from the parts depot because you could get like the cases and stuff separate and only pay for those oh so that's another uh, and, possibility. I, and i guess that's possible the only thing i was kind of wondering i mean you can see here there's still some of the glue residue from where you can see where this you can see where the sticker would have been right here and the warranty sticker was right here now maybe it came that way from from parts from, yeah from, might have, from, I don't know. from the parts there but uh yeah that's an interesting thought too yeah they may have uh just bought bought the parts directly well look but in the uh, yeah look in the holes to see if they have screw i mean the the, the screw holes have screws in them yes yep yep we uh yep, so, yeah yep, the uh yeah the system where the system board would have uh would have gone right here um whoops let me move it a little bit further so th this this post right here there's already screw holes in there and there's screw holes in here where it's uh, uh, not screw holes uh threads i'm sorry and there's also yeah. threads where the transformer was at so yeah and though where the cartridge port too yep right here yeah there's screws that were in here as well yeah yep. and they probably they more than likely just took the board out and put it into the machine itself because when you're using test equipment um, you want the leads for the uh, sensors to be not long. Right. And who knows how big of a machine it was that they had. And so, you know, they just had to basically plug this into the machine and, you know. The, Your little keyboard you can throw around on the desk. Yeah. Yep. That's yep. Good. So anyway, I thought it was very, kind of uh, interesting. And did I, I don't know, is, is anybody aware of other machines that were out there that were, that, you know, people did this that uh, maybe we haven't seen or maybe, with the cocoa that is there there was a few that have been brought out to rainbow fest and early cocoa fest i remember bringing but i darn if i can remember what the companies were what they were using them for but there was a few i saw there was one that was doing some sort of electronics thing that actually came with the cocoa inside of another box oh with a screen and some other electrical hookups and stuff i remember they brought it to cocoa fest probably in the 90s okay and that was sold as a third party thing i just rick do you remember what that was i don't specifically but i mean you gotta admit admit the timing Ten years before this, everything was transistors on boards and stuff. And now you're saying, you mean I can buy this $250 thing, throw its motherboard in place on my whole rack of stuff that I designed, and hook my interfaces to it and call it a day? I could see everyone jumping on that one. <laughs> mm -hmm. Go down to Radio Shack, 300 bucks. 
I got the whole <laughs> control system done. It's tested. Yep. It's got a warranty. You just had to write some software and burn it to a ROM. Yeah. So yep. anyway, but that's yep, that's all I had to share with you guys today. I thought this was I thought these were kind of interesting and got me thinking about. Uh, and I remembered I had this other this thermal patch system. And uh, the thing is, is that a lot of this stuff was obviously back in the the 80s and stuff like that. So doing searching. Uh, either via the archive or just even doing simple Google searches, there's really not a lot of information out there. And so it's kind of hard to search about this stuff because it just wasn't, uh, you know, obviously around at the time. But uh, Actually, anyway. it could have been done in the 90s because uh, a lot of times, you know, just after the cocoa got real cheap, you know, people bought it, to, you know, because it was real cheap because mm -hmm. people weren't buying mm -hmm. cocos anymore in the 90s. Yep. Also, uh, James Jones in the uh, chat says, I remember reading, he was thinking it might be in 6-day microjournal that some company used the Cocoa motherboards for avionics device. Well, and and uh, along that uh, similar line there, I'd have to look back on Facebook, but I, I know I had posed this question maybe four or five years ago. Um, and I'd heard it, you know, through comments or whatever that NASA had used a color computer something with the space shuttle and i posed that question it, it it spawned quite a interesting conversation um the, the consensus was is that it was just rumor um at the time though but uh yeah uh, some I, of the space the, shuttle testing equipment did yeah, use 6809s equipment. with os9 but i think somebody who actually had worked there had mentioned that that wasn't coco it was some other 6809 based right board. yeah but I thought that was kind of interesting too at the time. Again, you know, I mean, you know, the space shuttle at the at its time was supposed to be, you know, leading edge te technology, and you know, and uh, again, why reinvent the wheel if you could pull something off the shelf and do something with it, you know? So, well, what what, what year did the first space shuttle take? Was that eighty one? Eighty one. Yeah, so that's right around the beginning of the Cocoa too. So that's you know, they're on par. Yep. All right. So, okay. Well, that's all I had to share with you guys today. Cool. Cool. Hi. Um, any other project updates? That sounds like yeah, a no. Well, nope. <laughs> oh, maybe. Go ahead. No, I was saying, while Brian was talking, I finished this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. There, there might be a new Ron's Garage thing, though. Yeah. You ready, Ron? Yeah, hit it. World no. premiere. Let me get up so I can push the button. So Ron, where did where did that new uh, intro come from? Made it myself. So you wrote the music yes, and sorry. all. Yep. No, the music's uh, off the shelf. You know, get it free, um, publishable without you know having to pay. <clears throat> I just found that, and then I went to this uh, chip uh, champ thing and um, threw it all together, <clears throat> and then made at the end at the right time and 
threw the pictures in and voila. It came out pretty out. good. <laughs> yeah, worked worked out neat. Yeah, I was tired of the other one for a while. Anyways, um, this is what the show's for. Um, the Bills are playing right now. I just love showing how well um, Coco One can display graphics now with the Coco VGA. And if uh, chips ever come back and you ever get yourself a Coco VGA, it's awesome. And there's a whole bunch of pictures you can see that I've already contributed to and you can look at. Anyway. I, I want to mention the chip has shown up again. There was a, yes. a lot of 1500 or whatever, but sold out pretty quick. But they are starting to come off the production line for the first time in several years. So cross Great. my fingers. Uh, ha hang on a second. My wife is vacuuming. Can you hear it? Nope. No. Oh, good. All right. Well, it might come in. I'm just curious, is the Coco VGA compatible with the Coco DV? Their, their uh, specialty stuff is a fair bit different, like extra modes and things. Right. Okay. Okay, this this is what ate the Coco Cat. <laughs> I thought we'd, we'd we'd have something like this for the um the new uh you know Coco um fests that we have, you know, and have the guy walk have somebody walk around in the uh Taz thing eating um you know, eating and drinking uh chewing on a cat. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like Ron, you're volunteering for that job. Uh, <laughs> I, I am fat enough. Here's the Jetsons I, I made one day. Um, I put Color Basic 1.0 because <laughs> the looks on their faces, <laughs> what am I going to do with that? Because <laughs> that's what happens when you find a cocoa and you boot it up and you and you haven't opened it yet and you see that it only has uh, 16K. But anyway, so much for that. Or fun. maybe even 4K. Yeah. This uh, is back in the day. In 2000, I had a uh, landline still, and you see this thing hanging here. This was your um, caller ID device. So I caller ID it. and touchstone. Yeah, you weren't old at all. We were advanced. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you, as you see, I just—I uh, don't know where I had the plug-in. Must have been up above my head somewhere. Anyway, this is my Coco Three setup. It was nice. I have. Um, ADOS running there. It's black with uh, green and it's uh, 30, no, I think it was 40 maybe columns. You know, um, you can set it in ADOS. It was fun. Cool. I, I always thought it was cool to boot up to black instead of the green. And that was a way to do it. The ADOS okay. was, was a great, it was a great extender. It lets you use 40 track, double sided, 80 track well, drives. Added a whole bunch of commands, extended ADOS, three added RAM drive support, and a whole bunch of other stuff too. On top of it, full screen editor. It's quite nice. Now I was going to make this intro um, like fifteen or twenty seconds, but the music was so good and it had a good point to end it. So I threw a bunch of other um, pictures of artwork and stuff that I did, and uh, I figured, you know, why why not blow the horn? <laughs> and then I naturally I made it for the uh, uh, high color two you know, screen. And that's on my Cocoa Pie. It came out pretty nice. And then um, that's the uh, high color one. And this Speaking of high color, uh, Ron, you, you found the problem that the VCC you got fixed from last week you were talking about? Yeah. Um, they, um, this, this actually is from VCC right here. Um, 
what happens was when I was, I love the idea of being able to uh, make the processor go fast. You know, I put it over to 89 megahertz or whatever, and then let things rip. And it's in half to, you know, a fraction of the time when it processes a picture. But the, unfortunately, when it does that, it skips things. And then when the picture would come up, it looked terrible. You know, it would look, there's lines through it and, it, and none of the palette colors were right. Although, if I um, push some buttons on the screen on high color, I could make it work okay um, in a different mode. And I, why that happens, I don't know. But um, when uh, they said that the new version of VCC was out, I went there, I tried it, and it happened the same way. I, you know, I, I set it up just the same as the other versions, and it didn't do any different. And then um, someone came up and showed me uh, um, some flowers, some uh, plant, look like vegetation, you know, and they said they did it with uh, high color on um, on the Coco Three, and I looked at it and uh, I thought, well, if they did it on uh, on VCC, then it's it's fixed. So I tried it two or three times; it didn't work. And then I realized, well, maybe I should back down the you know overclocking. So I backed it all the way down to zero, tried it, and it worked perfect. And I had it on the settings where um, it says that uh, it has the new palette set. So I put that on it. And I haven't tried so, it. So can you overclock it to render the picture? Because that takes a long time with high color. Well, and that, then just clock it I, back down when it's displaying? No, that's what I was doing. Is I had it clocked up when it was rendering. And it skips uh, some of the, you know, uh, you know, when it's analyzing all the colors. It, it somehow skips uh, over, it doesn't get them all. And then when it comes up and it's finished, it looks terrible. But if you let it do it at, you know, 1.6 megahertz or whatever. Yeah, 1.78. It yeah, it works fine. Okay, I was hoping maybe you could overclock it to render it. Then once it's done rendering, then clock it back down to the yeah. regular speed, and then maybe it would fix. Or, That's or exactly what I, I wanted it to do, but it, it wouldn't. It, that does, okay, so it actually screws up the rendering while yeah, it's in high speed. It does. As you can see, this this thing came out nice. Actually, you know, um, on the LCD screen when you do it, it's not quite as good as uh, when you do it on uh, CRT. the actual. Yeah, and I yeah. have a picture down here of um, yeah. Look at this CM8, and that that smooths over all the dots and makes it look like a photo. It really came out nice. So that's pretty much it, guys. Cool. Well, glad the the problem with the VCC actually rendering yeah. high color is resolvable. Unfortunately, you can't run it at high speed. That's one sucky part. Yeah, it just takes a little time. It's, I don't know, four or five minutes compared to um, a minute and a half, <laughs> you know. So, all right. So that's our new uh, thing to start it off with. I may come up with a different one later that's not so long because it's like 30 seconds or so. And you know, you yeah, I mean, for and... the world premiere, it was yeah. it was good to do it. But I think when yeah. we're using the future, we'll probably have to fade it out halfway through because right. that's a pretty long intro. Yeah. So I'll Bye. take care of it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Okay. okay. Um, Thanks, Ron. Let's see. Why don't we take a uh, commercial break and come in for the game on results? Okay. Okay. Okay.
Where's my button? Here it is. Hey, Amy. Hey, Taylor. We're watching the Coco Nation show. Yeah, we are. Woo! You should too. It's your good buddy, your good pal, Amigo, and joined by that dastardly The Brent from ARG Presents. You're watching Coco Nation. I feel like that should have been longer. The Coco Nation Show would like to thank the following patrons. Alex Gare, Brendan Donahue, Brian Walsh, Brian Weasler, Kieran Anscombe, Coconut Bob, Daddy Burrito, Diego BF109, Don Barber, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Glenn Wabke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, John Bodefkarschaller, Justin Larson, Ken Reichard, Kevin Holloway, Mike Rayburn, Patrick Euland, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, R. Allen Murphy, Retro Tech Time, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Steve Batson, Terry Stege, Tom C., Tom Gunderson, Tom S., Tony C., and William A. Thing. Thank you so much, patrons. Welcome to everybody's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord? Grandold Ian says, I'm Ian C., from Manchester, UK. I'm mostly retro 1978 to 1989, repair and the last few years keycad and things, including repros and peripherals, just for fun, learning, wanting to contribute etc. I've been a member before here looking into the Japanese TRS-80 Model 1, but somehow you dropped off my server list so just here joining again. Anyway here I am. Jason W says, hello from Calgary, Canada. My retro experience is mainly with the Commodore family, C64. C128 and Amiga. Lots of Amigas, these are my personal favorites. But it's time I branch out to other systems I don't have experience with, the Atari ST, and now the Coco. My passion is repairing hardware because I'm not a strong programmer. And after some time and experience, hopefully I can use my repair skills to help others with their systems. Clay N. Texas says, newbie here, name is Clay and I have a Coco CPU that's been in storage for years. It was given to me and I've never tried to power it up. I don't know that much about it. I'm a lifelong Commodore, Amiga and recently Apollo type. However when I was a younger man I always wanted a Coco because of the 6809 CPU but could not afford one. If anyone would care to tell me what I need in a way to verify proper operation I sure would appreciate it. Kind regards from an otherwise alien CPU user. The previous bios were edited for time. Thanks to, Alex Geyer, Boysen, Glenside Computer Club, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Tandy Color Computer 3, and the Coco Nation patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. 
Just go to discord.thecoconation.com. See you on Discord. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to this week's Coco Nation Game On Challenge of the Week results video. This week we played Hopman. We had a total of 12 scores submitted. They were Exile in Paradise with 800, Mark B with 1200, Canadian Retro Things 2150. Ed Rhodes, 3550. L. Curtis Boyle, 5050. Coconut Bob, 6250. Sloopy Malibu, 8500. Shenley, 10,600. Mr. Evil Dead, 11,150. Buck Owens, 11,600. TJB Chris, 22,000. And this week's number one score goes to. Tasman with 55,750. Thanks everybody that played. We'll see you all again next week. Here comes the Tasman. <laughs> we still need that Tasman intro. Yes, we do. Yeah, definitely a clear winner there. <clears throat> Ken, before you get into it, I just want to mention one thing about when they're going through the new to Discord. Jason Warns, whom you know personally because you met him at BoatFest. Yep, is uh, one of the people that does repairs for uh, Retro Rewind, and uh, he's going to be getting a cocoa physical cocoa here fairly soon, and uh, hopefully he'll be a person that can help the Western Canadians and maybe Northwestern states uh, get repairs and stuff done. Anyway, go ahead. That was I just okay. To do that before I forgot. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to quickly mention here too that on the score list, uh, Buck Owens was the only person that score was submitted on the MC10. Oh, cool. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I kind of joined the party a little late here, so I didn't get a lot of chance to play this game, but, uh, um, yeah, it's one of the Inifuto games. So it's a game that is available on a number of different, uh, systems, but, uh, yeah. So I'll just jump right in and say, does anybody have any tick? tips or tricks for playing this game because as i said i was late to the party so i only played it for uh like maybe an hour or so i would just like to point out that the double speed poke works really well with it and smooths out the gameplay oh good bob is that on the coco 3 version or the coco 1 and 2 version uh, i only tried it on the 3 on real hardware so the original game is only running at regular speed yeah Oh, I didn't know that. I wouldn't have tried it. We should mention that to the guys in the video. I wonder if he's done all the Coco 3 ports at regular speed. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I, I recorded a video of the gameplay. So maybe I'll just throw that up real quick and mm -hmm. link that there. I'm sure a lot of new Coco users don't even have a clue that that can be done. I just assume all Coco 3 games have that built in just because it's you know, quote-unquote, yeah, right. common knowledge, but yeah. The only reason Actually, I Bob, if you, if you want a research project, you want to go through the other <laughs> games and see if it's the same for those. 
<laughs> I can probably do that because I have the turbo light on my computer, you know? Yeah, because I'm kind of curious. Like, if he doesn't know about that, he, I mean, he's there's been some complaints the Coke 3 version is actually slower than the Coke 1 and 2 in the MC10 versions, and that, that would be why. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, anybody else have anything to say about the game? Sloopy? I don't think Sloopy's uh, no, here. I, oh, yes, there he is. I'm here. Of course I'm here. Oh, I, you were uh, napping. Yes, this is the uh, nap portion of the show. No, it's coming up. Um, yeah, there was a few things I did notice about it. Um, if you were jumping like on a platform, it would make you go really high. And sometimes you could actually go through a uh, one of the platforms or even through the uh, through one of the um, bubblegum monsters. Now, was that only when you're on the elevator? I heard somebody mention that during the stream. No, not always. Um, I actually went like I was where. where uh, let's see. Let's do this. It makes it easier. When yeah. Have, hey, hey, hey. I I looked at you without wincing. I don't want to hear it. When you have like two <laughs> platforms that are close together, I found that if you jump with a with a uh with one of the monsters coming coming towards you, if you jump and keep holding the jump, it will come up, hit the hit the ceiling, come and bounce off of the bubblegum monster and keep going and not kill you. That's a pretty neat trick. I didn't. I didn't do that one. Yeah, and I actually got that to be repeatable. So, which is kind of helpful when they're they're blocking your way and getting to the top top uh, platform is difficult or impossible. And then, as a, as a general rule, I think if I remember correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I only played it the amount of time I was on the stream, which wasn't anywhere near part the whole part of the show. I think. The longer you hold the space bar, the longer you will jump or the higher you will jump up to a certain point. And you can also steer the jump in midair, right? Yes. I mean, it's not, it's probably about four to four and a half character heights in distance. But if you just tap it, you'll go like only one, but okay. up to four. And the, the timing is really short on it. So it's not that big. So, oh, so you're saying this game breaks the laws of physics. Well, well, wow. he he just said it jumps in midair, which is cool because you're on the computer. <laughs> yeah, well, it's 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 a video game. It's not real life. Well, all really? games should follow the real laws what? of physics. Because hmm. it's I not died, a simulation. <laughs> I died hundreds of times in this game, but I have yet to die in real life. And if you die in a video game, your computer should electrocute you and bring you back. <laughs> And then defibrillate you. Yeah. Now, one thing I wanted to mention, just from watching some of the comments on the Game on Challenge channel and just also general comments um, of the game itself, I think a fair number of people picked this as probably their favorite interview game to date. And they said this is one that actually, you know, they want to play after the challenge type thing rather than just for the mm-hmm. two-week period. I was wondering for the people of you that have played it a fairly extensive bit the last couple of weeks, is that your feeling as well? Or do you think it is one of the better ones they did? I would rank it probably about on par with uh, Ariel because I also liked that a lot because it had a very uh, chopper command feel. 
to it. Um, yeah, and the one that's uh, made based on Bosconian's one I really like. I played that one outside of the challenge too because I quite enjoyed that. But yeah, that I, I would be- rank this in the top three or four. I think out of the how many they got now a dozen or something. I don't even know. Yeah, I would say that the, the Bosconian one, Ariel and uh, Hopman, are definitely top three material. Yeah. And for those of you that have other platforms, they're still cranking out the other platforms. I saw the Model 100 version went up there, so Ken can try that one later on too, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I, uh, not no one noticed, but last week on the uh, Game on Challenge Live, I actually played the Atari version, not the uh, Tandy version. So, yeah, but you cheated because you disabled what... the sound so nobody would notice the background music playing. Yeah. Yeah, so it was... Uh, Oh, are you saying that the Atari has better sound? Oh yeah, that's a it has a sound chip. <laughs> also has a a GPU. A uh, sprite chip, you mean? No, it has a GPU. Anyways, enough of this Atari <laughs> Coco fighting. It's still this it's is still wounded by six five zero two. Sorry, go ahead, Kev. Neutroid rules. <laughs> I, I think this is I'm definitely like, a game that um, would uh, work really well on like the Model 100 on those little screens like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested how they would because that would be the first horizontal scrolling one. I think they would have tried, and I'm curious if the little LCD can keep up with that. Is well, I guess it does with Draconian or Bosconian clone. Mm-hmm. If I had a way to get it on my Model 100, I'd try it. How did you get them on Ken? Did you just make download the cast file and just plug it in the? I've never. Board? I've only used it in um, emulators. Oh, okay. Well, who was who was running it at Boatfest? Because somebody was running it. Oh, that was um, forty-eight K um, RAM. Yeah, Josh. forty-eight K RAM had. But Run, he, had he was the running them all drive. on his Model One Hundred. Like he copied them yeah. on there. So, but he had the big hard drive on his uh, Model One Hundred, so he could put right. as many games on it as he wanted. There you go. There's your solution, Sleepy. Just spend a thousand dollars for an upgrade. That's all. No, so all the games you wanted on a Model One Hundred. What was it like a uh, a ten meg? <laughs> actually it had some pretty good uh looking games on it yeah there was I one was, dungeon crawler it surprised. looks really good the yeah. asteroids was great yeah so all right other than that for tips or tricks you basically memorizes what eight different levels and then it repeats i think that's what i heard yeah i never got anywhere near it either and uh, basically, if you memorize where things are and you you know you have certain things you have to go take staircase up, so you have to do the short jumps, otherwise you might leap off the edge and plummet to your death. So basically, yeah. just memorize it because it never changes. Just the timing of the monsters might change. Yeah, the farthest I got was uh, was the fourth screen. That's I think as far as I got to. Maybe not even that far. I might have only made the third. Yeah, I made the fourth screen once. I made the second level. Mark Bosley, did you make it past level one? Uh, no. <laughs> I thought you got to the end of the first level. No, I never made it to the, to the end. Uh, never made it to the goal. You'll do better next time. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's a fun game. It's uh, an original one. It's on a bazillion platforms and still more coming out. So if yep. anybody wants to try it on the other ones, like Sleepy mentioned, he tried it on the Atari. 8-bit machines, uh, you should go grab it at infudo dot whatever the heck it is. Pulling a blank. Is it org? Sure. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> there's, a, there's a link in the Discord channel. Actually, there you go. Difficult, difficult website to Google and find the official one. You find all the Atari and all other systems. 
but not the official Inafuto website. Yeah, it's a it's not it's a fairly bare bones website. So yeah, it's Inufudo dot whatever slash eight bit slash the game name. I remember that. It's Inufudo dot web dot fc two dot com slash eight bit. Okay, I put it in yes. the uh, in the chat. Yeah, because you go there, you can actually see all their games. And when you click on the game, you'll get little you know columns of the YouTube channel views of a one minute video of every version they have of that game for every platform they have for it, which is now I think up to like 70 on some of the older games and Hotman's probably getting pretty close to that now. Mm -hmm. And the other game we played this week was uh, Space Marauder, which I have yet to try, so I can't even talk about it. It's a good shooter. It's, there's two main screens to it. It's also made by uh, Nick's main rival in Australia back in the mid to late 80s. They were vying for getting included with Radio Shack bundles and stuff. So, Ah, so it's a quality game, not like one of Nick's. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you and, mean it's not milking the same concept for 40 years and counting, yeah, you're right. But, and uh, Nick's asleep. <laughs> yeah, it's probably better. Um, <laughs> some people, Nick's games are great. I heard it. <laughs> you're gonna call to order it and you're gonna get out here here's a uh here's a question for those people that uh, are naysaying nick's skills what i'm not saying naysaying nick's skills what? most of his games are great it's just the one he's been rehashing over and over trying to get it right is the one <laughs> how many games have you uh released shows perseverance uh one two two that i've released in basic yet Woohoo! <laughs> and that None. other person exactly <laughs> well no ken when we when you first joined the channel you finished off a little basic game you started as a kid didn't you oh yeah it's kind of finished it's not yeah <laughs> it's not running quite well enough to actually be released yeah I, i'm writing question. a basic game while i'm watching the show right now i'll put it in the uh in the, when you do the game the game news later on okay <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, how That's many? Right. As long as it's not Neutroid and Basic, I'm good with that. Yeah, ah, how many... damn! How did you know? <laughs> how many Ferraris do either one of you own? <laughs> how many what? How Ferraris? many Ferraris do either one of you own? How many? Of you I, I got rid of mine a long time ago when I was. A I kid, don't even so... go in for those cheap little Ferraris. I want McLarens. <laughs> Actually, I was going to ask Nick since since you and Craig were like, did you ever meet Craig? No, no. And and really, there was no rivalry because I didn't even know the guy back then. So, Well, just that I, I know it's I, like he got Pursuit won the game throwing contest for the first Coco 3 release. And I think you had submitted I, Donut Dilemma, which got accepted by Ray Shack as well, right around the yeah. same time. And then he did our Space Marauder the next year. And I think you did, um, uh, was it uh, Rupert Rhythm? Uh well, like you both got rhythm. you both got accepted by Radio Shack to sell through Radio Shack or Tandy, sorry. Yeah, but the thing is, um, I, I wasn't aware at the time that Tandy were even uh, at the time were looking for anyone uh, third party software. I just sent it to Tandy because um, it was like a last ditch effort to try getting Tandy to to sell anything. So I just sent it to Tandy without realizing there was a competition running. 
Uh, oh, yeah, because it was, it was in one of the magazines I remember it was sponsoring. Yeah, I, I had no idea about that. The magazine had the competition, and um, and um, th- uh, what was his name again? Craig Stewart. Um, Stewart, Stewart was Craig Stewart, the winner. Yeah. Yeah. Craig Stewart. And I, I wasn't aware of the, even the competition. I, it was just random. I thought, well, I'll try send it to Tandy and see what happens. And it just happened that they accepted it and it turned out that they decided to have two winning entries basically yep. unofficially. That's I had, I didn't even know Craig at the time. Yeah, it's too bad you didn't because actually just recently I found the – was it Australian Coco or something that had the contest yeah. announced? And basically yeah. you got a contract with Tandy. You made I think a buck a copy or something like that as your royalty yep. – for copy sold, but they also gave a five hundred dollar bonus on top of it if you won the contest. So you lost that part. I lost that part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we, some of us even got to meet Craig because he actually happened to be in Chicago, totally by coincidence. He wasn't planning on going to Coco Fest, but he found out last year on the web. Uh, no, it was a bit before that. I think it was before COVID or the year before. Oh. Yeah, but he was he was there for like a business trip or something like that, and he just happened to be there the weekend of Coco Fest, and he actually came in and, and said hi to everybody. I think this is back when it was still at the uh, Blue Heron or Heron Point, I should say. Yeah. There's a few pictures we got of, of him there, but uh, it was kind of neat, nice to meet him. The other Australian Any- legend. <laughs> anyway, back to Space Ball Order. <laughs> well, what's your opinion of the game, Nick, since you're a fellow Aussie and a fellow Coco oh, it's enthusiast? Good. Yeah, no, it's good. It was one of the first uh, uh, Coco 3 shoot 'em up, vertical shoot 'em ups that came out. With nice sixteen color graphics and everything, that was well done. Yeah, I think my favorite part of it, aside from the fact it's just generally a fun game to play, is is the uh, the particle physics, like all the explosions when you like shoot the edge of an yeah, asteroid yeah. so it ricochets off. There's so many things going on the screen at once. I was quite surprised it could keep up. Yeah, no, you did a good job. Well, now I'm looking Not as good to as Neutroid. Not as good as Neutroid, <laughs> of course. Of course. No, far better. Um, <laughs> but for those of you, um, if you want to zoom up uh, Bob Emery's screen here, I can kind of briefly describe the game for those who missed it. Like Ken, like you, you've you never tried it, so you don't even know what the object of the game is, I'm presuming. Shoot things. I know there's more to it don't than that. die. More to it than that, too. Come but Mark, in. if you can zoom up Bob Emery's screen, because he's actually playing it, I can kind of explain it a bit. Coming, coming, coming. So there's two levels to the game, basically. This is the first level here that we're seeing, uh, where you pick up the little blue comets. That'll increase your power. Um, you also got the asteroids where you can shoot or dodge. Now, you if you shoot an asteroid, you have to hit it dead center. You see that little black uh, empty spot on the bottom? You have to hit it there for it to explode. Otherwise, it just ricochets off particles. And you have to shoot a certain number of them and collect the power because every time you get hit, your shields go down, et cetera. And you, every time you fire, your power goes down. If you hit the space bar, you can activate your wing lasers, but then your power goes even faster. But you get to shoot multiple shots in one shot, uh, basically in three grid lines. And then once you get enough here, you'll see a little warp thing, which is a little blue robot-y thing. And then you have to collide with it, and that'll warp you to the next level. You actually have to take on the Marauder himself who's constantly shooting at you, and he takes, I think, 20 or 30 shots, I can't remember the exact number, to hit to kill him. 
and then it you know it, it wraps back to this level except faster. So the gameplay on the two levels is fairly similar, but there's uh, some different dynamics with the Marauder who moves back and forth, dropping bombs on you like crazy. We'll see if Bob can make it that far while I'm describing the game here. But uh, what's the best joystick to use? Um, whichever one you're most comfortable. I mean, honestly, the, the the springback centering, like any springback center one, I think does help somewhat. And, and by the way, as you can see here, you can also move vertically, not just horizontally. I noticed uh, some people I don't think knew that when they were playing it. Here's the warp thing, the little blue robot-y thing. So if you hit that, you warp to the next level. But you can move vertically about a third of the screen, I think. And there's the Marauder on the top dropping all these bombs, which you can shoot or dodge. By the way, if you miss that warp thing, you die. Yep, that is true. Anytime the warp thing comes by, so you have to sometimes sacrifice yourself and run into an asteroid because it's merged with one. Yeah, I'm a dodge guy. With with the uh, with the Marauder, I find it easier to move to the top and yeah, and then follow him, him, like kind of go ahead of him and just ram that fire button. Yep, and then try yep. to obviously you have to try to avoid you know the little round bombs that he's dropping at you though. But I find it a little bit easier to. Get up there yeah. and go, boom, well, you, boom, you can boom. definitely kill him faster if you're up there because your shots fire a little bit faster when you're that close. And if you really? follow him in the same direction, more of them will hit him instead of just one or two stray shots. So you generally can get through it faster. But, but unfortunately, like what's happening to Bob here is that you know you, you start depleting your shields really fast if you're yeah, and you can't recharge your shields as far as I know. You can only recharge your power. So once your shields go to zero, you're you're done. The game's over. Does this have good sound? Yes. Good explosions and stuff. I like the explosions thing. And it's it kind of reminds you the explosion might be a defender. It's that style. And it shakes the screen when yeah. when you get hit. Yeah, he had a lot of nice subtle nuances, which is pretty good programming for coming out this early in the Coco 3's life, because this is like literally within a year of it, the Coco 3 itself getting released, and he was already you know, fiddling with the special tricks and stuff here, which a lot of the other ones like Return of Junior's Revenge stuff, the other early Coco 3 releases did not take advantage. They just took the advantage of the color and higher res. They didn't start using all the special gimme stuff. One of the things I noticed is that like when asteroids overlap themselves, you get kind of a black square box. Yeah, I'm guessing yeah. he did that for speed. He's not oaring it on, like masking it on the background. He's just putting the shapes there as quick as possible because he's got so much stuff especially with all the particle physics going on. There's so much stuff going on. I imagine he wanted to keep the speed up. That's what I thought. Yep. Well, I didn't notice it until you said it. Yeah, I was pretty impressed with the smoothness of it. Yep. There's your point grid there. No, it's, it's, it's well, well visually presented, good sound effects, good visual effects. Like the Nick was mentioning the shaking screen and the particles physics and everything else. Um, there the is Coco three Coco versions Coco. floating around, I will mention. There's a 0.1, a 1.0, and a 2.0. It looks like the archive has the 1.0 version. Um, so the 2.0 I uploaded to the Discord, but I'll have to upload the 2.0 to the archive. I didn't realize it wasn't up there. I think it was just bug fixes. But I'm sorry if you said this already, though, but is, is, is Craig still, is he somebody that's around? Has he been interviewed? or He's, a, he's around, but he doesn't he's do pretty busy. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like I said, he was at Coco Fest around 2018, 2019 or something. We, a few of us met him there. Okay. So he's definitely around. But, yeah, I mean, the fact he traveled to Chicago for work <laughs> tells you how busy he is. He's flying across hemispheres for work. So 
good album. Mm -hmm. Were there other games that he did? If you mentioned it, I'm sorry. Yep. If I yeah, he did Pursuit before this, which the previous game winner. He did a couple for the Australian Rainbow Magazine, some machine language, like a, a biplane uh, fighting game for Magazine two players. entries, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember commercially he did Pursuit. He did this one. He had a tank one. I think was a, that was a, another magazine one. I can't remember if he did anything after this or not. I think this might have been the last one that I, I'm aware of. Yeah. I'd be interesting to compare his sales. Like you when you got your first published one around the same time was Donut Dilemma. And we know how many you sold of that, but that's a Coco one, two, and three games. So that one had a pretty big base. Considering this one came out like within a year of the Coco 3 and you hadn't had a chance to sell too many of them yet, I'm kind of curious how his sales were for this one. And maybe that's well, what scared actually, him into not. Yeah, yeah. It was the Pursuit that was uh, bundled, wasn't it? Yeah, that was his first With one the, of the year previous to yeah, this one. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I can't recall even seeing this one on the, on the Tandy shelves for that matter. Well, we look at the manual which is scanned on the archive. It actually, I think it says Tandy on it, doesn't it? It's even got a Tandy part number for Australia. I have to have a look. I haven't looked so in a while. This plays on a 128. Yeah. Yeah, 120K and joysticks. That's all you need. Single button joystick. Don't need a dual button deluxe or anything. It's one of the ones when people ask me, like, for a good Coco 3 128K game, if they have an RGB monitor, I, uh, this is one of the ones I usually suggest because it's got good sound and good graphics, and it's fun. What's that other one that's similar that starts with a Z? Xenix? Yeah. Xenix, yeah. That's pretty nice, too. Yeah. yeah that came out a bit nice later game. than this, though. He had more time to figure that yeah. out. Is it the same guy? Nope. No. Nah. That's Jeremy Spiller from the States. Oh. Well, also we did had, uh, Crystal City. We had... Yeah, we had Zini on. Yeah. That was another vertical shoot em up. Another Australian one, too. Yeah. What was something in the water there? Like, you guys had a couple pretty decent game programmers for the Coco 3 right off the bat there, which... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so are these the kind of games you want to show people when you have people come over and you say, oh, you got an old machine? And they say, yeah, try this. I, yeah, I'd rank this one as one of those, especially for yeah. 120K. I mean, you can do some more impressive stuff with 512, obviously, but if you just picked up a 120K Coco 3 on eBay, this is a pretty good one to get. Rampage is a good demo for yeah. 128K. Yeah, unfortunately, that one for 128, you have to have the uh, cartridge. Uh, right. The dispersion takes more. I like the uh, I like the effect of the, uh, the, the stars that are in the background there where some are moving faster than others it, it, yeah it, it gives that nice illusion that's a good game i, I mean this is one if tandy had picked it up in in north america i would have bought this one right so that 2.0 is not available to us it's on the discord <clears throat> oh i uploaded it on there hey, but i'll have to put it on the archive this weekend do you know what the differences are between the original 1.0? No, I've, I've, I've got point, 0 0.1, 1.0, and 2.0. There are some differences, I believe, but I don't, I've never really delved into it. I'm just assuming bug fixes because basically they play the same. I think I remember yeah. the point one, one actually did crash or hang once in a while. And I, that's definitely not in 1.0 or 2.0. Right. But what, what, what changed between 1.0 and 2.0? Maybe he added the NTSC option or something, or because the original yeah, version I had patched from PAL. Excuse me. 
Right. Where would you find it in Discord? Uh, I think it's in the Game on Challenge channel. Yeah. Okay. In the Game on right, Challenge channel, just scroll okay. up till you find something Curtis put in there. Or search Curtis's name. It'll Actually, we, you, you should pin so. that in the channel, Curtis. Oh, yeah, I guess I could, couldn't I? Yeah, we should maybe have a pinned message with the links to the current games. Download. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to upload it to the archive because I didn't realize that they, I thought they had the 2.0 one already. Somebody pointed point out to me it's only the 1.0. Hey, does that does that give you enough of an explanation there, Ken? No, absolutely. Yeah, just remember the space bar for the wide lasers and the fact that it will drain your power faster. Okie dokie. Definitely helps when you're killing the Marauder at the end. Yes, <laughs> that's the time you save it for if you have enough power. All right, so Sloopy, shall we talk about the uh, Game on Challenge live program this week? Yes, we shall. Do you want me to uh, show some footage from that? Sure. Yes, you shall. Okie dokie. Please let it not be neutral. Please let it not be neutral. <laughs> this is just from Thursday night's uh, game. Oh, okay. I thought you were announcing the next one. No, no, no. Not <laughs> yet. It's it's way better than Neutroid. Oh, good. <laughs> Someone, I think, is a closet Neutroid fan because they talk about it an awful lot. Yeah, I ain't gonna name names or anything, but his and initials me. are L. Curtis Boyle. I I I, I talk quite a bit about six five two and how bad it is too. So no, it has nothing to do with that. So you you're a Neutroid and a six five zero two fan? Jeez, <laughs> not in the slightest. No, he's not in the slightest. He's in a major. Although I will say the new <laughs> the new one that Nick's coming out with has improved a lot of things. So a lot of my complaints are kind of going to the wayside now. So I will admit that nine people. <laughs> All right. We actually played Hopman and uh, Space Marauder, as we just discussed. And as you can see, we had up to nine players. And because there was a certain Canadian who didn't show up, but he goes by the in, the uh, initials uh, CRT, uh, we would have had half, almost half, of all people in the stream to be Canadian. Jeez, what but, a jerk that guy must be. <laughs> yeah, Ken was a decided to go to town instead of go go to his cocoa. I had to pick my mom up from the airport. And actually, you you had an additional tale of us why you couldn't that had nothing to do with going to the big city. Yeah, doing yeah his, it was doing his imitation of uh, Grant. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, storm chasing uh, tornadoes. And excuses, excuses. Yeah, well. <laughs> Priorities, man. Priorities. Well, as you can see, yes, we had nine players plus one missing. And they were not all the same. So we had a total of, I think, 11 people. 11 different people actually played at various times with nine at once. So... It was a, a good week, and we're hoping because we're coming into the, uh, it's uh, getting darker sooner. We're hoping to, to hit nine and actually go for a full 12 in one in one week. 
<laughs> we had two two new people this week, didn't we? Yes, we had well one person had been there once before, low level, and then we also had a new player this week, Annie. Uh, welcome, Annie, and thanks for joining us. And please continue to join us. You're a breath for a breath of fresh air compared to all these old fogies. You saying she brings a little class to the place? No. Does <laughs> she at least make nice. uh, most of us be on our best behavior? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> she's a very nice person. But she's a real person. So, And she's a gamer. Yes, and she's a gamer. Yeah, she has her own gaming stream, doesn't she? Yes, she does. She you should, uh, you should plug that if you have it handy. Uh yes. She streams on Twitch and YouTube. I think she's going from Twitch to YouTube. And let's see if I can find that beautiful bean footage. I do know like Twitch, Twitch, like a lot of people switch from YouTube to Twitch due to like, you know, fake copyright strikes and all that kind of crap that was happening. But now Twitch has started been putting in ads during live streams. Like I've been watching Chronology Gaming. If I watch it on Twitch now, I lose the last five minutes of the show because it throws up a whack load of ads right at the one hour mark. So I've gone yeah. back to watching it on YouTube because it's quite frankly less annoying. Oh, he streams on both? Yeah. Uh, he releases his video afterwards on YouTube. on youtube as well but he, he streams live on both now yeah oh does he stream live on both okay yeah because he's got a lot of complaints from the same problem i had uh let's see here it is not showing me there it is And she actually streamed the Game On Challenge this week. She and simulcast with us? That's cool. Yes. And there's the link the uh, link to uh, her stream on Twitch um, in the chat. Okay, yeah, just showed up. Yeah, she, so is uh, she a retro, like, retro gamer, or does she play all games? Um, she plays a uh, multitude of games. She is the wife of low level. Um, he is uh, a regular in the various uh, uh, classic 8-bit uh, communities. And uh, he's he's a um, he's a member of the uh, Coco Discord as well. Um, he uh, and she started to take more of an interest in his classic stuff because she was playing um, newer stuff. And so, unfortunately, she decided to get dig to the bottom of the barrel and come to our show. <laughs> but uh, thank you, uh, Annie, for coming. And she brought uh, her husband, Low Level. So then we had Curtis, so there was one and that was the real low level yeah that's the real low level that's like bargain basement there yeah so there were three canadians so one third of our show was canadian 
Well, that's right. I forgot they mentioned that they're they're Canadian as well in the uh, Ontario area, if I remember correctly. Yeah, because probably not too far because, from Ken. Yeah, because you weren't there and Ken wasn't there, we had no Canadian content, so we couldn't broadcast in Canada. So we had to find another Canadian. Well, it's good to have a few backups. Yeah, yes, backup yeah. Canadians. Right before we finish taking over the world. Uh huh. I'm so, going to guess they're probably in Toronto, and that would Toronto be area. close. Yeah, yeah. So the I'm actually closer to you right now, Curtis, than I am to them. Yeah, I keep forgetting Ontario's really wide. We're we're tall over here, but we're not. Well, personally, I'm getting wider, but. <laughs> So now's but, the time yeah, to stop talking. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much uh pretty much the uh, game on. So please join us next week, Thursday, 8 p.m., where we will be playing Space Marauder again. And we will also be playing. Oh, I guess that's my cue. So I will stop sharing this. And we're going back into the classics again. Oh. Classic dragon games. Uh, Dragonfire. Amadar. No, I'm just kidding. That's what it's a clone of. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the Cuthbert series, if anybody needs a hint. Yes. Walkabout, I think. Yep. That Briefly sold by Tom Mix. Darn, that was supposed to be my next choice of game. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, you did it to me before, so... <laughs> <laughs> so that's Cuthbert goes walkabout. Let's see. Um, I guess we got our uh, check from the uh, British contingent here. Yes, dragons are in as well. <laughs> yeah. No, so this next don't. next yes. week is going to be non North American gaming. Yeah, because yep. next both week, of them. Uh, well, you see, Ken's been picking games more game more games in line with what I like because he has to see me in a couple weeks. Yes, this this is now our international show. So, or this is our international week. Next, and now we've got and, uh, the UK and Australia represented for games this next week. Also, I do want to sure. say that uh, this one's actually, I think, uh, me and Sloopy quickly talked before the show, and since in two weeks, both myself and Sloopy are going to be at VCF, we're going to skip the game on challenge that week. Ah, I was hoping you guys we're would do it live from VCF. <laughs> We're not going to have Ken, uh, oh, we're not going to oh. have our intern uh, do the show. You, you you guys should just come on live from VCF and actually have some live game players, you know, trying it out while you're on the air. That's what you should do. So I have a question: If Cuthbert's on Walkabout, aren't all the games in Australia next week? <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, Walkabout's uh, Australian, it's a British Walkabout. <laughs> no, no, you Walkabout. You're in the the backwoods. The back country of Australia, aren't you, Nick? Yeah. yeah. Anyways, I guess it's possible that Jim term. might Jim might do the uh, challenge. I haven't been able to talk to him yet because I just thought well, of this this morning. He's so. a, he's a um, intern, so we wouldn't have to tell him until just, uh, September sixth. <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't have okay. to tell him until September sixth. And how did he do when uh, last week when uh, neither one of us were here? I don't know. I wasn't here. I was asking the other people who were. Oh, much better than you two. I'm he's hired. <laughs> he did fine. Yeah, it's a shoe in if he wants to drop. <laughs> Ken, I can feel that we are so loved. 
All right, now, then. actually, since you guys mentioned it, you guys might as well do a bit of an ad for it. So where and when is VCF Midwest? Uh, it's in Chicago, and it's in two weeks. Well, it's actually west of Chicago, about 20, 20 okay. miles. In the Chicago area in two this weeks, is- and Jim has officially been warned. So I guess this game is only going for two weeks. So Jim has to uh, do the game on challenge in two weeks. Yeah. If you're yeah, available, yeah. Jim, no, no pressure. Yeah. Now, do we know who all's coming out to ah. BCF Midwest this year for the Coco side of things? I know Taylor and Amory are going to be there, but they'll be covering uh, Jason like the, is all kind of stuff. I am Sloopy is. Any of the Glen side people or? Uh, Jim will be I don't there. Know. Jim. Yeah. Jim Brain. There's usually yes. some yeah. There's usually some Glen side people there. And yeah. I will have a nitrous nine table. Oh, good. The bribe made it through. I was kind of worried. Oh, that reminds me. I I cannot confirm nor deny the allegations because, hey, worldwide shipping can be a little uh, flaky. But the world premiere of the new Coco 3 and 2B drive wirelessly boards may be there. Cool. Mm. As long as yeah, let's the, hope that derelict gets the work done. Yeah, well, I I would blame JLC PCB for not getting it here in time more than anything. Or, well, or maybe you should gel. have used PCB way. Um, beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> so, but it was more of a. I, I get a little help from my friends and uh, I want to thank uh, Rick for assisting me on that. But yes, the, uh, the drive wirelessly boards will be uh, hopefully here in time for VCF Midwest. So for anybody who's in the Chicago area in two weeks, um, pop by, I, I don't know what the details like, what well, hotel this is held <laughs> or whatever, but it's at um, the Clarion. And if and, you want to see Sloopy assembling boards at the show, Yes. Watch. Yes. You want to come Stop and play by. with uh, Nitrous watching. Nine? <clears throat> it is at the where is that? Uh, and it's free, yeah. so you can just come and drop it's, in. It's at the Clarion Inn, and and what suburb slash town? At the name? Waterford Banquet Hall, Elmhurst. It's pretty close to where Coco Fest was. Yeah, Elmhurst. Okay. Just so yeah, people can look it up. It's literally where where Coco Fest was. It's down the road. The old place that Coco Fest was is literally down the street from where the uh, Harry Harry. It's, it's about right across from where the uh, Walmart is. And there will even be some YouTube celebrities there. Yes, I. Um, let's I see. It's LGR Ben Heck. Uh, I was thinking the Olympic important guy, ones. like Taylor Namey. Taylor yeah. Namey. Taylor Namey, Canadian Retro Things. Uh, Adrian going to be there? Yes. I don't Adrian's think Adrian's going to be there this year, is he? Yes, he's supposed to be there. He do, he wasn't able to go to West because he had um, some uh, picked up a issues. <laughs> you got to watch out for that Canadian Retro Things guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's likely to pick your pocket. 
I've been practicing. What? <laughs> That's where you really were last week when you are on the Thursday when you couldn't make it. You were in the holding cell there because you got caught. I got caught. <laughs> what is it? Oh, there it is. It's 933 South Riverside Drive, Elmhurst, Illinois, USA, 60126. Okay. Now, does the VCF run Saturday, Sunday, or Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Which which Saturday, uh, Sunday. Load, load in and set up is Friday, and then uh, Saturday and Sunday are shows. Okay. Just for those in the area that can be out there, it's a, it's a huge show. It's been growing for the last few years, at least. Covers uh, all retro, so... And there'll be definitely some cocoa people out there too. So, yep. Yes. And you may want to get there early because, from what I understand, last year, Saturday morning, uh, after about 9 a.m., 10 a.m., you had to walk a half mile from wherever you could find parking to get in. Yeah. And the hotel's been sold out for quite a while, I think, this year already. Yeah. Too. I think they're already yeah. on their third hotel. Yeah, I've actually gotten three people that have asked me for floor space. Speaking of which, Ken, how much are we selling the floor space for? $100 per night? <laughs> it goes up every day as people get more yeah. desperate. <laughs> can, you, can you camp in the Salt Creek Greenway there behind the hotel? Hmm. Do they have a lawn you can put a tent up on? Right. Yeah, they actually have a big, huge courtyard that's between the hotel and the um, <clears throat> and where the show is, the banquet hall. I'm sure they'd be super happy if people set up tents there. Right. Yeah, you can form your own VCFW mid or mid MW uh, tent city. Yeah, that would go over well. <laughs> yeah. Can I borrow some water and electricity, man? Yeah. Can I plug in my VW van, please? <laughs> Now, we had representation from the show for are, are, are any of you guys to be a bit more serious. Are you, if you guys want to do a live stream of some game on challenge with just random strangers walking up to try it, I would love to see that. But are you guys planning on doing a little walkthrough again this year while you're there? I might do something like that if I can get yeah. my phone to work this year. I tried to do that last year, but I couldn't get my phone to uh, connect to uh, mm. um, Zoom. <laughs> I yeah. tried to I tried to log into Zoom and my phone just deleted Zoom altogether. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't have many problems with the, with doing it, but um, unfortunately, um, the audio quality on my phone is not great because the source material really sucks. So maybe you can try doing it with my phone and see how that goes. I can try doing it with my phone <laughs> again this year, but uh, I'm going to actually bring headphones this time too. Yeah, but I'm saying if yours doesn't mm -hmm. cut it. Yeah. You can try it with mine. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'd like to do a live report from there, especially since we we're getting to know some of the people that, you know, aren't strictly Coco out there too. And getting, hopefully some more Coco people will show up. Getting to know. <laughs> some of us have been going there for 10 years. <laughs> no, but some of the people like, you know, I've, I've just started being YouTubers the last couple of years type thing. Like, right. We're kind of expanding the community. Yeah. It's, it has expanded quite a bit since the early days back in the, uh, <laughs> like 2012 2013 so and the whole youtuber thing has like really exploded since then because back then you didn't have as many um streaming celebrities as you do now yeah so so anyway, if you're in the chicago area 
in two weeks, uh, definitely pop by. As as Ken mentioned, it's free admission. Uh, you might need to you know get your hiking shoes on to walk all the way from wherever you park, but uh, it won't cost you anything to go attend the show. So especially if you live in the Chicago area or it's not too much of a drive for you, it's definitely worth checking out. So here's a fun fact: just northwest of northeast of the intersection of 83 and 38, Illinois 83 and 38. I can't remember that intersection. I can't remember anything. So what? That was 72 and 27. No, it's that's the that's a better known as Dyslexia Junction. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay. Oh yeah. There's also um the week after um uh VCF Midwest. There's the world of retro computing in in Tonto or Toronto. Uh, for those that uh, can't make it to VCF Midwest. And, Tonto. Uh, yes. And I remember uh, him. He, he hung around the 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 Lone Ranger, right? Yes. And you will also be able to see Frank there because unfortunately Frank will not be able to attend VCF Midwest, but Frank of Retro Rewind will be at uh, the world of uh, retro computing in Toronto. Yeah. He's one of the main sponsors actually. Yes. Ken, are you going to be able to make it to that one or Sloopy or are you making that one? Probably not. I don't have a passport, so I can't go. Someone even offered to marry me to so that I could go. And yeah. I was like, was it me? <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's also mention from Mark Oberholzer, uh, some other stuff coming up. I mean, we'll cover a little bit of the news too, I guess, but might as well just do the announcement, pre-announcement. So the Interim Computer Festival coming to Seattle, Washington, uh, September 30th and October 1st. Uh, I don't know too much about that show. What what was that covers like a gaming show or general retro computer? No, what is that, Mark? Just general computing. I po posted the link there to the SDF, which is uh, interesting. Also, uh, that organization. Um, basically, it's just a computer get together. It's a pretty small little venue right along the Interstate Five from downtown Seattle, and there looks like there's about ten or so people that want to show up and demo stuff. Um, and it's not really gaming. It's more like various computer systems and literally um, uh, like um, workstations. I think somebody is Apollo workstation or something like that. So it'll be real interesting, uh, more computing than uh, gaming. So if you're on the West Coast and Chicago is too much of a trip for you, there's a, another show happening then. And of course, if you're in England, coming up on October 7th and 8th is this year's Dragon Meetup at the Center for Computing History in Cambridge. So I, I imagine a few of the Dragon people will be out at that one too. Someday I'll make it to all these shows. <laughs> Someday. Okay, so I think that covers the Game On Challenge. I'm just going to go straight to Game On News because I don't have that much. Um, but yeah, definitely uh, check out Amadar. I keep calling it Amadar because that's what it's called. It. Cuthbert Goes Walkabout, um, which is about a 16K Cocoa 1, 2, or 3, I think, is all that's needed. So I like that. Let me just take a look. Pretty minimal system requirements. And a fun little game with a little ditty, as, as Karen mentioned in the chat earlier, that, that that music will stick out in your mind after playing it for a while. Okay. Ready for the news intro? Yeah. Sure. I'll just be doing the game on news, and then we'll probably take a break after that because it's just a couple things to cover there. When you want the latest... 
in TRS-80, Tandy, Dragon, MC-10, and all of their hardware cousins. No matter what it takes, or where news breaks, from around the world, to your nation. The Coco Nation News, with L. Curtis Boyle. Okay, you guys should be seeing a game screenshot there. Assuming my sharing worked. Can anybody yep. verify? Okay. Yeah, I can see it. <laughs> okay, so um, first up, the uh, Coco Show episode 47. This is from the Amigos, of course. Uh, is now up on YouTube. They did the live recording here just last week on uh, Twitch. But it's covering Lucifer's Kingdom, which is a game we just covered recently on the Game on Challenge, I believe. Ken and Sloopy, if I remember correctly. Not too long ago. Which is a kind of a, I'm trying to remember, it's a clone of Space something rather, uh, Star Fox, I think, or Space Fox or something like that. Basically, based on that, it's kind of a Xevious style, but there's a lot of extra stuff to it. So they do it with the normal humor. Now, they also made the sad announcement that uh, Boat will no longer be part of the Coco show. There's quite a few of the shows he's dropping. His personal life is taking a turn for the extremely busy. He's helping his wife open up a brand new restaurant in Hurricane area. And uh, he's also, doing something uh, in the church where he has to do a bunch of uh, training and stuff that he'll be there. So he'll be quite busy for the next while. So he'll just be doing the Amiga show basically one, you know, once a week, but one day a week and he doesn't have to worry about the other show. So in his place is Aaron's younger brother, Brent, who um, his first computer he ever used as was Aaron's was the Coco. So we'll have a bit but, of experience. Go ahead. But Boat will probably be serving hot cocoa at that restaurant. Probably not. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, he will hopefully come by and, and guest once in a while if he has some free time, but well, he just good. can't commit to it. So, right. so anyway, we covered this uh, game, I think, recently on the challenge. I'm hoping the silence just means that I was right that we did do that one recently. Yeah, I think um, I kind of remember it. Yes, we did yeah. a while back. So this was originally a dragon game, but basically it's, it's a really good game. There's a lot to it. Um, I will mention... Uh, Karen and I have been working a little bit on doing uh, minor speed ups to it, um, just to smooth it out a bit, you know, scrolling wise, etc. So uh, we'll probably be releasing that fairly soon. There was a six eight oh nine patch I did already. I might try the six through nine version of it too, and just see if it if makes any you know noticeable difference. I can't remember if this is frame locked or not. Karen might be able to correct me on that or not, but uh, they'll be doing a little bit of an update there. Next up, I talked about this last week. So the YouTube channel called Paul's the Best 3 UK has been doing a lot of Dragon longer plays. So he's actually like playing the game for more than you know a minute type thing. So I mentioned last week he did Monkey Kong plus bonus games, which I hadn't had a chance to look at because it came out just before the show. And the two games he actually added on are games that I have not seen before. So the first one, he actually had it crashing. And this is the Pac-Man one I'll show you in a second here. And it's actually by a guy named Tom F.A. Fears, F-I-E-R-S. I'm not sure if I pronounced that correctly, from 1983. But it's from Belgium. It's not from North America. It's not from the UK. It's not from Australia. So this is a Belgian programmer that did this. Unfortunately, it crashed. Now, from looking at the way it's reacting, like there's a random bit of gibberish up in the upper left quadrant of the screen, you'll see right over one of the letters in the word score. 
it looks like this was designed for cassette and they're trying to run it from disc. So I think if you basically if you ran it as a cassette game or if you do a ROM L thing or disable the disc ROMs, you probably could get it to run okay. Um, but this is a version I have never seen before. And I'm wondering if anybody in the panel or the chat has seen this particular version before. Oh, the next cute. There it is. Revenge of Pac-Man. And that's where it locks up. You know, you, if you look up here where the word the E in the first word score on the left here, upper left, you'll notice a bunch of characters, you know, pixels went through there. And that's usually the disc timer thing. And then it crashes, which I mean happens on, you know, other games too, if you little cassette version. But this one looks a little bit different. Like I noticed, like, I don't know what the heck this thing down over here is. And you've got power pelts, but you get these other circles here too. Like this looks like a bit of an expansion of Pac-Man. So I'm not sure exactly what it is. I've never seen it before. That, Has anybody else? That, that bottom shape looks like it could be the cherry. I don't know why that's not working. So if I just uh, oh yeah, it might be a bonus shape. Except it looked like it was walled inside. You get to it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's a key. And then what these other shapes here are, I have no idea. Because you already got your four basic power pills. I don't know what that is. I'm really curious now, so I, I, I might have to send the guy a message and ask him if I can get a copy of it because I've never <laughs> seen it anywhere. Fix the game so we can figure out what the heck it is. But I was wondering if anybody in the chat, like some of the people that are in, are in Europe, because I know we've got a few people from a few different countries in Europe in the chat right now, like Tom and, and Kieran, et cetera. And I'm wondering if any of them have seen this particular one before. This was a totally new one on me. And the one he did after that, which is, I think is a bit rare too, is Galactic Raiders, um, which is a Galaxian style game. Let's start the game. Cool. Oh, this is like a it's a little little slow. Galaxian clone. It runs quite a slow. But the, the guy did the shapes quite well. Like the the shapes actually, the ships actually look like the Galaxian ships, even color wise, like the flagship and stuff here too. Probably one of the closer ones I've seen. Visually, I mean, it's still too too slow to be an actual Galaxian, as you can see here. But not the best. It's quite unresponsive to the shooting. Okay, Kieran has not seen that. Tom Eric Gunderson has not seen that. And Eight Bits in the Basement has not seen that. So no, that looks like a. A new oh, Pac-Man that none of us have seen, so I'm well, curious yeah, about that, that one. That's this hmm. one. I see what it looks like anyway. So anyway, that's the. Um, I think I have seen this Galaxian once before. Mm -hmm. I've never played it yet, but uh, I think I have seen it before. But the the Pac-Man, I'll, I'll say I'll send a guy a message to Paul here and see if I can get him to send me the disc image or something or whatever, and see if I can patch it so it doesn't crash. Because I'm kind of curious to see what all those extra shapes are. And Paul's been busy doing other ones. So he basically has been doing, you know, weekly, he's been doing these longer gameplays of a variety of games. So this last week, he's put in like the official Frogger, um, Danger Ranger from Ken Kalish, uh, Storm Arrows, which is a clone of Targ by Spectral. And the one that just popped in today, uh, Dragon Darts game, which I don't know if I've seen that one or not. What's that karma crazy? That's that's Hello. a clone of your uh, Rally S your SG. Welcome to today's game. <laughs> Don't be down there. Today's <laughs> a clone of my Rally SG. Yeah, it was done like <laughs> you know forty years before yours, but it cloned your game. No. <laughs> but it's, you mean a clone of Rally X? Yeah, <laughs> not a clone of. My... <laughs> oh, here we go again. Ah. I've never seen that. Yeah, Firefox has been giving me some issues the last couple of weeks. It's been doing that. I don't know what. I haven't seen that. I've got Firefox. 
Yeah, but do you open 714 tabs on the regular basis? <laughs> Hello, happy Saturday, Paul is best for UK here. And... Trouble trying to find. Let's line it up with the left one there and the top one here. Ooh. Looks like it's written in basic, but you know, visually it looks pretty decent. But yeah, entertaining. It looks like you move the joystick to move the uh, right, try and get another vertical and the horizontal to try to line it up. It's actually really easy to aim on this. Do you know, like on them all the dark games, you probably played on the Spectrum or something where mm -hmm. the uh, sort of. I hope there's some randomness to it because this looks a little bit too easy oh, if you can just line it up. Yeah, take your time. you would. Oh, that's right, yeah. Oh. Yeah, but they have wind blowing and stuff. Does it drop? That's what I'm wondering, yeah. Yeah, yeah but that's a bit of gravity or something, yeah. Yeah. Maybe speed or something, I don't know. Move this one here to where you want it to go, say double 20 there, and then fire. And look accurate. Is that it's like you're looking through a um a gun sight. Let's go for trouble thirteen here. So let's try and aim that nicely. And I've got it as well. Look how easy that is. Anyway, as dark games goes, this is I haven't played this one before either, so he's got a couple games I've never seen before. It's kinda cool. Good looking dartboard. Yep. I have to say that is. But yeah, obviously I'll get some more stuff to put on the website. I will mention too, I've recently picked up a Coco collection and a few people are going to be receiving some stuff out of that. I've prearranged a bunch of things. I will be bringing a few things for the Coco Fest auction at Coco Fest in May uh, that are from that collection too. But I, there's a bunch of discs and most of it's stuff we've got before. But there's one game uh, by Adventure National by Lance Miklas. Um, it was called the, uh, what was it called? The Mean Lean craps machine or something like that it was a the craps you know gambling game um from adventure national 1981 so it's one of adventure national's very first coco games ever released 16k extended basic and uh, that was one of the games that he had on his disc so i'll be putting that on my site hopefully this weekend but that's that's another one of my little holes of stuff that i thought was lost forever i've now gotten so i'm gonna i want to thank the author i don't know if i got a permission to give his name out but uh he was a local guy he was actually from saskatoon had a coco back in the 80s um, he had a couple family members that had Cocos as well. None of them knew about our Coco club. So he was out of the loop with all that stuff. Cause we had like 70 people in that club. Um, but he actually started the model one, got really heavily into OS nine, wrote some of his OS nine software. Um, got to be a fairly proficient Sorry. C programmer, got his master's degree in comp sci, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, he just, uh, he's downsizing. Uh, he's moving from a, a fairly large house to a smaller condo. So he just doesn't have room for the physical stuff, but I think I've kind of convinced him to try out some of the emulators. So hopefully he'll stay in the community and, and become active without having to take up a bunch of disk space <laughs> with all his cocos kicking around. So and as you know, hundreds of floppy disks, etc. But a uh, big big shout out to him for uh, helping find another one of the missing games. That's it for the game on news. So I will switch over to the regular oh. news now. Quit. You want to want to hear my? Oh. Uh... Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. I suppose you have something to announce or something. Yeah. Very important. New toy. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. The, why'd the show just end? Hey, well, while, while he's doing that, I wanted to ask you, um, Curtis, when you look in the game to see, um, you know, um, to fix it from that one that's broken, yeah. you know, when, when you go in there, are you going to see notes or something that'll tell you what those other characters are? Is that what you're looking for? No, in, in that particular case, I'm guessing just by the symptom of those randomly shifting dots before it freezes, is that it's the disk drive timer. So it's basically, it's mapped the graphics screen over top the RAM that disk basic uses for like buffering sectors and stuff. And it also has, you know, track of the drive motor timers and stuff like that. And I think that's where it's crashing. I think it's a cassette based game. So basically I just have so, to have it so that it disables the disk ROMs 
and then kick it in. Okay. So even though you normally wouldn't have fixed it, now you've got to fix it just so we'll know how the game plays. Yeah, well, I can't get screenshots the rest of the game from my site unless I can get the darn thing running. So I have to fix it. Mm-hmm. Okay, All Nick, right. you're, you're sharing. Well, I, I mentioned before that I was uh, actually to keep me awake during the show. I thought I'd do a bit of <laughs> basic programming. Kind of game. <laughs> yeah, but before I start, before I get into that, uh, just to, to say that Neutroid is now, Neutroid Reloaded is now finished. Uh, thanks to Kieran for putting it together uh, as a, a hybrid disc for me. So that by hybrid, I mean it's a disc image that will work on both a Dragon and a Coco. So one disc will suit both. And Are you going to uh, have a cassette version as well or, or cast? Well, one? I probably could, but I don't know. I mean, that basically for the dragon people, I don't think most Coco people would bother. Yeah, with cassette, but... that's right. I, I, I hate cassettes. Anyway, um... <laughs> <laughs> tell us how you really feel. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, that uh, Kieran created this the, uh, hybrid disc for me, as well as doing uh, tests uh, of the game to make sure it works on dragons as well. Uh, thanks to um, to Buck Owens and Tasman who've uh, flogged it to death uh, with their uh, incredible gaming skills, uh, looking for bugs and just uh, giving me an idea of how hard the game has to be or how easy. So I got the uh, difficulty level all sorted sorted out. So this week now I'm just putting together a website and all the, uh, all the rest of the stuff. So on sale very soon. Okay. Now. So this here is the Neutroid Pong. No, this now, is this is a vastly improved game called Pong. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, on Facebook, uh, Daniel uh, Daniel Co- uh, Connor was it O'Connor O'Connor, yeah. Yeah. O'Connor that's it. Um, put a, uh, a a request for a Pong game for the Coco for her um, upcoming Coco record or album or whatever it is music. So. Uh, I mentioned a while back that when I responded to that uh, that message, I said, "Oh, look, you could probably whack something something together in basic, if it's just a a bit of a graphic you need for a music video uh, that you want." Anyway, I I would have loved to have done it because I thought it'd be a bit of a challenge to try writing a little pong game in basic, but I was busy with a you know with a, a, a real program like Neutroid. But now that that's out of the way, I thought, well, during the show, to keep me awake, I'll actually try code it during the show. So I started, and it's not playing yet, but I've got the layout all done, and it's in basic, and, you know, I can just hit... hit. Um, Obviously, you're running on a Coco 3 at this point. It's on a Coco... Well, yeah, Daniel's got a Coco 3, so I thought I'd use the Coco 3 because you've got the double clock... Double speed and black. I can set the palette so I get a good black and white, and that's the whole program. I'm still mucking around with it, and but yeah, it comes up like that. So next thing to do is to put the two paddles and get a ball bouncing. The score displays up there, and uh, hopefully I might have this done today. I can send it to Danielle, and I'll I'll upload it to uh, well for everyone just to download for free. But I thought it was a bit of a challenge to do a bit of basic programming 
to show. There's no ten dollars CD version of this one with actual <laughs> artwork and stuff. That one might be a bit more expensive. It might be a thirty dollars CD. This one, because this is a really complex game. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah, just actually, if you get it done in the next week, you could throw it on the Neutroid image of people who order the CD. They can get that one for free. I could. Oh, I yeah. could. <laughs> Bonus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Look at that. See, the, the counter works and everything. Um, but yeah, it's just a currently it's only a, a short little basic program. And that's the whole thing. So, and that's to, that's got a test routine in there for the score. Um, it won't be, it's only about four or five lines so far. Yeah, you should so fit this got, in 4K, no problem. Oh, easy. So, um, yeah, I, I thought it, this would have been a good challenge to see. Who can create um, the best Pong game in basic in as few lines as possible? Um, hmm. It would have been good, but, uh, well, that never kicked off or no one's taken that challenge on anyway. So I thought, oh, I'll try it. So that that's what I've done. I'm going to get that done during the show. And that's what it's looking like so far. So are you going to be putting disc protection on this game? <laughs> oh, definitely, yeah. yeah I don't want to be parted by Curtis. Yeah. yeah. He's going to so, make me pay for but, it to put it up on the website. So yeah. <laughs> so all that's really all the graphics. It's just two paddles and a ball now and get yep. it bouncing around. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's not really a complex game, but it would have been a fun little project for people to, to put together. Someone else could. Maybe yeah, it'd be kind of like that 4K that's... challenge Alan Huffman did way back that you made yeah. a Space Invaders yeah. for that never finished so, the challenge. I, basic should be fast enough to uh, to do. Um, oh, Pong, yeah. yeah Pong could game. you make it so the uh, scores are random or something? <laughs> well, I could, but that's sort of... Uh... <laughs> well, it makes it I interesting, mean, man. Well, the other thing to do is maybe try to make it a Coco 1 and 2 1. I Ooh. mean, I'm, I'm cheating yeah. using the Coco 3 for the extra speed and the the ability to change the palace. I was going to do a graphical score counter, but the using just normal text P mode for uh, the numbers would have been too big. So I, I've decided to go for a text and then just changing the colors to black and white. This would probably work but, on a model one, huh? I mean, uh, TRS 80. No, you'd have to re rewrite it for a TRS-8 even. But, yeah, the um, resolution's different. The basic's a bit different. Yeah, too. it's different, and the character set's different. But this is for a Coco 3. I just quickly slap it together. But that was uh, a da Danielle O'Connor's uh, request for a, a Pong game. Yeah, because I, I remember uh, we talked about this, Nick. We were trying to think of some Pong games, and I know there's been a bunch in some of the magazines and stuff, but the only one I really can remember was Pong yeah. for the Coco 3. There and are it's a too few, fast. but to give... The giveaway with those was that it comes up on most of those came up on a bright green background, right. you know. It looked like a Coco game. Yeah, and Punk didn't. A, Punk was a Coco three game, but it's it's way too fast. The guy wrote an ML's a project learning the Coco three, and it that gets and the ball's gone, so it's almost impossible <laughs> yeah. to play. And, and and Daniel had a a picture of of Pong, so and it was a black and white. It was like the traditional Pong. And uh, so I thought maybe, maybe she's going for a, you know, that, that classic black and white Pong look. So that's what mm. I'm trying to do. Yep. The other thing you could use, you could clone the MM1. They had a game called Gnop Pong spelled backwards. 
Right. And that was, was that was done as an innovative way to play it. So basically, your paddle stays in the middle of the screen, but the whole screen moves around to All follow right. the ball. Yeah, it was evil. Yeah, that <laughs> hey, you played that one, Ricker? Yeah, I saw it at the fest. That was evil. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was a bit so of anyway, a different take. That's uh, that's my uh, game news yeah. at the moment. It really looks better than uh, Neutroid, so it's that's going good. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, by the way, I should mention here, uh, it's also a reminder to Nick Casey. The new one's good, yeah. Actually, yeah, the new one is. I will have to grant you that. <laughs> uh, but uh, the Amigos are having their International Computer Club meeting next week on Saturday at, I believe, 5 p.m. Eastern, I think it starts, um, where they'll be going through a bunch of the uh, presentations by various people. It'll be stuff for the Spectrum, the Amigo, and uh, Nick's going to be on as well. Um, and I'm assuming he'll be showing off the finalized version of Neutroid so people can check that out from that are on other platforms yeah, or multi-platform yeah. I haven't heard about it yet. I will. I'll probably just try to put a, a video together so I don't take too long on the presentation. So now that the game's done, yeah, that's what I'll do this week. Yeah, I'll be on there just as a panelist. I don't have anything new to announce, so um, not even not So does stuff. that mean I've got to send you money? So you say... Positive things about Neutroid? No, no. Honestly, you did finally fix all the problems I had with Neutroid with the new one. So this is the first version of Neutroid since 1984 that you've made that actually is okay. You know, I was thinking of uh, how AI is going to change things in the future. You know, we're going to be talking about uh, things and say, wasn't there a time when I mentioned something about blah, 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 and then AI is going to go, yeah, here's the video right here. <laughs> and boy, did you it screw it up. Call you a liar. <laughs> That's basically Actually. just Google search now, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah, but this we, we should have up. a little. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, we should have a little bit of a discussion topic about AI. What the hell is it? Everyone says Whenever anyone sees anything that's computer generated nowadays, oh, that's AI. I think, hang on a sec. We were doing that sort of crap back in the 80s. We called it a computer program. Everything nowadays is AI because it's it's done on a a computer. I mean, is that – anyway, I think that's a bigger – AI is basically just using a huge data set that we couldn't handle before. I will maintain maintain it's Eliza with more RAM. Yeah. And yeah, better search I mean, algorithms. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm seeing the word popping up for things which which right. are not that. Right. Yeah, if it's on a computer, if it's drawn on a computer or, or calculated on a computer, it must be AI. Oh no, we no, it's worse. It's, <laughs> it's cyber AI. Yeah, yeah. And now it's plagiarizing happen? artists and people's faces and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, yeah. You're gonna a, say, I'd like to make a program, and then as soon as you finish that word, program. It comes up in front of you, and it's exactly what you were thinking. Well, of. Alan Huffman and a few other people actually had it say, you know, write a program to do this in, you know, Cocoa Basic or Commodore Basic, or whatever else. And it's it's not perfect, but it does give you a skeleton outline. But it's based but on the, whatever it's trolled the web for to find other listings type thing. It's not. And the problem game. is, it thinks it's perfect, and it tells you it's perfect in every way, and well, it, it just isn't. Yeah, this what, what happened to Cortana? It's um, it's very fitting that we have the rise of the AI, considering we have have the rise of artificial stupidity among humans. Right. It's kind of a balancing act. You got to keep it, yeah. you know, both uh, added up down. equals zero. 
Did you notice <laughs> when Sloopy was saying that part of his brain was missing? Yeah, he's getting. You're being edited, Sloopy. <laughs> that must be AI. It was perfect. <laughs> I will not be silenced. <laughs> They're changing the matrix. Oh no, <laughs> that's AI. Just on that's a personal right. note, like I would see, I would see things like on Facebook and eBay. And I misread it at first. It's like complete your listing, and I thought it said Al, and I wanted to know who Al was. That's <laughs> yeah, AI, not Al. Hey, good show. Yeah. The thing is, I mean, the saying about actors being replaced by AI. I, does that mean that someone says, "Oh, I'll type in an uh, an actor's name, and uh, bang, there he goes. We got Harrison Ford can play any character. We we just Yep. The computer can generate. The thing is, is it really that easy? I still think you need graphic designers to to do the 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 rendering and the design. It's it's I getting good enough much... that if you have enough pictures and and clippages of these people, you can actually get it to do that kind of thing. It still in well, chunks looks a little fake, but some of it looks pretty real. And they can but, definitely make it take voice samples and make it say whatever you want from that person's voice. So now you're going to take credit, but um, when you is do it something, AI. I, is it I directed AI? AI. Is it a bank of graphics artists working with computers? To yeah, I think it's just a no. It's it's computer generated program. on its own. Some of them I've seen have been completely computer generated, but it needs a whole big sample set. You you can't just pick one of us and have it you know have us walking down some random street type thing because so, we don't so have like a, enough data. A bunch of artists have to collect that data set and create all the software. No, it rips it oh. off from YouTube and still photos that are on the web. It just goes and trolls through and finds, you know, pictures of Harrison Ford or video clips of Harrison Ford on YouTube or, you know, memes that people have made. Hey, I did my mm -hmm. intro. No, it didn't. Wow. Well, <laughs> they know yeah, it was Al that did your intro. But you could so, do it. It could do it, I'll bet. So, so now we're left with you see a young man's face and he turns and walks away and that's 80 year old Harrison Ford walking away. And that's the only way you can really tell. Right. I mean, you can tell we're running at, short this week, huh? With this, with this, uh, <laughs> well, you know, I'm yeah, looking at movie clips, you know, the AI of his face is great, but that's all they did. It's just around the, well, here. that's why I said you, you need a big enough data set. Like if you, if you pull in all the digitized movies that are out there with Harrison Ford from when he was young to when he was old, you have full body shots of him. You have his body build. You can actually have AI but make a new Harrison Ford do something he's never done in his life. But apparently that's more than Hollywood can do because the work they're doing now is they fix his face and the rest of him's an 80 year old guy with a bad voice. <clears throat> Well, that's because so, there's yeah. there's a lot of legal issues right now because the actors are going, you. I don't want you to use my likeness to make an entirely new movie without me in it. I don't want that at all. And now they're trying to set the laws. If you're using somebody who's real existing likeness to make this, then they have to be paid. Whereas, right. you know, the other part of AI is they can generically mix like multiple faces from different people and create a new person that never existed before. And then you can do that without any copyright issues. And if they start going that route, I mean, literally, they, they could make movies eventually. I don't think the technology is quite there yet, but they could make movies with newly generated people. It's a mixture of Harrison Ford and Benedict Cumberbatch and whoever else. Yeah, whatever. And they mm -hmm. can actually make it. They can make a simulated voice that's a combination of a couple of those and a simulated person model that's based on then, a couple of those. Then what do you do at a book signing? You don't. They can sit there and rake your money because it's just a computer program making a movie. You don't have to pay actors at all. Would, you don't have to pay anything. I would That's, rather see. I'm sorry. 
Go ahead. I would rather I would rather see artificial faces with a real plot and story rather than what we have now, which are real people. Yeah, yeah. Well, what you're probably going to get is artificial you know? faces with crap plots. <laughs> right, right. We get we we, we have uh, animated cartoons or live action cartoons. What kind of movie do you That's want? Quite, we have both. There's kinds. a name for that. There's a name for that. It's called Disney. Well, yeah, there is a, yeah, yeah we have these, both kinds. <laughs> some of these games, when you first see them, you think you're looking at the screen and thinking, "Is this? This is made up. This isn't real people, or you know, real." It's a, a game. Way, yeah, yeah. You, you, it's it memorized. takes you a little bit though anymore to, to you know, you're looking. And... You know what's scary oh. about all this? 1981. There was a movie with Albert Finney and Susan Day called Looker, and it was about recording people uh, completely right. and being able to recreate them on the computer because they don't look as attractive or appealing when they move. Right. So they could generate perfect advertisements. And then they were killing the people off so they didn't have to pay them royalties. Ooh. Yeah. Yep. That was 42 years predictive. ago. Don't give them yes. ideas. <laughs> uh, 42 years ago. It's already there. They already told us they're doing it. Are we still on the air? <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure. Not for much longer. Are this us? Okay. The AI uh, is going to take us on, off the air soon. I am an AI product. Yeah, Max Headroom. Yep, yep, yep. Moving yep, on. Yep. Anyway, Mark, before I hit the regular news, because I do have a longer segment of that than I had for the game news, maybe we should do a quick commercial and then we'll come back. Oh, there's oh, more. That wasn't the regular news. Back to Coco Nation. <laughs> okay. Hi, I'm Terry Stegge from Retro Tech Time and the Tandy Shack, and you're watching The Coco Nation, the world's first live and interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and its hardware cousins. From the makers of the Switcheroo. Wallaby Cable, Color Computer 3 Dual RGB Cable. Get yours today at CocoMan.biz. A whole new approach. A window to a world of possibilities. Clear your expectations. Clear your hesitation. Just hit clear. EOU today at lcurtisboyle.com. 
Hey there, I'm Ken from Canadian Retro Things. And I'm Amy from Taylor and Amy Show. Yeah, that was Amy from Taylor and Amy Show. And you're watching the Coco Nation Show. And back with the news, part two. Okay, so okay. First... go ahead. Oh, sorry, go on. No, no, no. Okay, so the first part here is is um, stuff you can pick up on the Internet Archive because it just got uploaded this past week. Um, I'm not going to do direct links to it because it's a zip file in its current form, so I can't show anything. I'm going to show you the actual photos themselves. So basically, what happened here on the TRS-80 Discord, a user named uh, Shuford14, which is actually his real name, Eddie Malfus. Um, he met up with Jerry Heap, who was one of the engineers from Tandy back from like the 70s onwards. And if you guys watched the VCF from Texas, he was one of the speakers. Um, but he got some documentation from Jerry Heap uh, related to some very early COCO-related things, mostly video techs at this point. And I'm going to show you some of the stuff that he actually got scans of that he's been putting up. And he's, he's I think he's still got a few things left to go, but this is enough to give you kind of a, a taste of it. And if you want these actual files yourselves, you can go get them in the Internet Archive. If you go onto the show notes on our Discord, I've actually got the direct links to the zip files in question. So the first one here is the service manual for the actual or, or the video text um, console itself uh, with the uh, label itself here. So this is, I don't think this has been on the archive before. Whoops, where's it going here? Did this one come from Brian Weasler? Nope. I don't think this one exists too often. At least well, Brian can correct me if I'm wrong, but. Because you'll see here, it says preliminary service manual. So this is the one, not the official released one. This is, you know, when they were designing it still. So you get the impression of... they stole that front panel from an ad or something with the floating hand there. That wasn't made for this manual. They just took it. From now, one thing I want to check for those of you who know about the video text terminal, and I never had one, so I'm not super familiar, but it says here the contains two memory sections. The largest is the main RAM, which can be four or 16K. Did they ever sell the actual terminal with two different RAM sizes? I do not remember that. I thought they were all 4K. Hmm. Like the video text cartridge, obviously, could take advantage of you know, four, 16, 32K of RAM in a Cocoa, but I don't think hmm. the actual video text terminals did. So that changed between this preliminary version of the service manual and what actually got released, if I'm right. But does anybody here know? Or in the chat, for that matter? Well, I guess the video text came out before 1980. So before 1980, 16K would have cost a fair bit. So maybe there was a 4K, or they tried to have a 4K because that was more cost-effective. 16K was like you know, a lot more money pre-1980. Yeah, because so, I don't think they ever made a 16K model that I know of. All right. But so this this preliminary service manual mentioned that was an option, but I I honestly don't remember Tandy ever actually using that option. Just on the Cocoa 1, it came out for 16K. Right. But this is talking about the terminal with the built-in modem. So troubleshooting hints, video section talking about the VDG chip, some timing stuff. Still getting the hardware way above my head. Things to be aware of, adjusting the modem level. Cool. Board layouts. Like it would be nice if, say, Terry Steger, some of the people that actually have video text terminals are on to talk about it a bit more, but I don't know if anybody on the panel right now actually has one. 
Ron, you don't have a video text terminal, do you? No, I don't. Complete parts list too. I don't know if that matches the uh, actual sold one or not. So anyway, if you want that, that is now up in the Internet Archive. Like I said, if you go into the show notes on our Discord, you can grab the exact link on the Internet Archive, or you can search for Video Text Service Manual. Ooh. And now I want to switch to this next chunk here is based on photographs that Jerry took of the Video Text Terminal to submit it to the FCC for approval. Um. So these are pretty nice photos, and these are taken from before it was actually officially released. I don't know if too much changed. I think the font might have changed on the label. I don't remember the label looking like this. Your video hasn't. There. Thank you. Because didn't this have the like the Radio Shack three color stripes on the the actual sold version? I mean, the little light where the modem thing is is the same, but yeah, I've never seen the big primitive. O. Yeah, I've never seen the big O in video text before. Okay, so that is a custom label then. So apparently, you have to submit photographs like this. I've never dealt with FCC stuff, but uh, it's, it sounds like you have to submit these to there to get the official approval. And of course, it still has the holes for joysticks and stuff that never got used to the video text. So they were planning the cocoa at the same time, because otherwise, why would you have bothered making all this? Right. So I think they were planning right off the bat, they were going to uh, try to oh, exactly. the make it one, they, one case mold for both, cover both bases. The, the things they didn't use had embossed labels, and the ones they did use were stickers. The, the previous shot from here. Yep. And I did want to show this here too. Like this has a manufacturer date in November 1980, which doesn't make sense because the video text came out in like February, March of 1980. Coco came out in July, August type thing. But you'll notice there's this catalog number, no serial numbers. <laughs> right. So I'm guessing they might have probably done this here because it says complies with the FCC rules. I think this is kind of a mock-up label because they're submitting the FCC. They haven't got approval yet. So I guess they're just showing you know where the label will go type thing. There's the inside of the case, including the RF shielding. And you can see the wires going towards the modem part. This here is the uh, SAM Synchronous Address Multiplexer Programming Guide. Um, now, from what I've read in some of the old Tandy Insider magazines and some other ones as well, uh, Microcomputer News is one example. The SAM actually was produced by Motorola, but was co-designed with Tandy. Like Tandy wanted them to create the SAM to reduce the number of chips needed for the Videotex or for the Cocoa, for that matter. Um, and that's the reason it was created. It was uh, meant to reduce a bunch of chips to one chip. So this would have been kind of like the very early programming guide between Motorola and Tandy when they were actually designing the chip in the first place. And I don't think this has been publicly released before either. Is the SAM used in any other computer that also used a 6847 or was the coco the only unique one coco and the dragon as far as i know like the mc10 oh, well, doesn't yeah, the, the vc200 or vz200 doesn't um you know some of the other vdg based ones don't no so maybe that's that is right yeah but you'll see here like this is a motorola schematic of a layout of it and actually says tentative so this is like this might not have been final so this is an early design stage type thing 
So there's probably some good history in here if you want to see how that all worked out. There's a zoom up. I don't know who W.M. Peterson is, but. There's your guy. There's the cover for wow. the service menu. Again. It's it's just as well, they did that. <laughs> if we didn't who, have who the did same, they release this? Um, the guy who actually released the scans of it is named Eddie Malfris. Wow. He's active in the Tier City Discord, but it was from Jerry Heap, was one of the original engineers at Tandy that worked on like from the Model One through the Coco through Videotex. And I think he actually stayed right until Tandy quit making their own stuff. He got laid off, if I remember correctly, when Tandy switched over to just buying cell phones and stuff and selling those. So he stayed right on until the early 90s, I think, or mid 90s, or even later, maybe. Can't remember. You can check it out. He was interviewed in the VCF uh, South, um, the one that was held in Texas, in Dallas recently. So that uh, if you want to check it out, and he did talk about some of this history there. Uh, but he has these documents that he had the whole time. So he's now let, let them get scanned and now released to the world. So, Well, if it wasn't wasn't for the SAM, we wouldn't have the uh, semi-graphics eight nope. color modes. No, and you wouldn't be able to move so, the screen around either. Oh, or double so buffer or any of that stuff. Well, yeah, no, you wouldn't right. have much of anything because that's the whole trick between putting the video well, and the it, CPU on the same RAM at the same time. Yeah, the well, same you would just have an MC10. Yeah, what takes its place on the MC10? Do they just have nothing? They can't do some of the nothing. things we can do. You can't move the video screen. The MC10 has to start at the exact same address, no matter what. You can't double buffer yeah. on the MC10 because you can't move the pointer to where the video RAM is being accessed. So, what so, would it cost to put one in? Well, you'd have to redesign the board. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> now, I do know Brandon, we covered last week, is actually doing an external circuit to allow some of these things in a limited extent. Like he's going to be able to up to 16K video RAM or something. But you have to add hardware to get it to do that. Hmm. So this this was this is one of the main things that, that Tandy was directly involved when they made the Coco a bit different than a straight 6809 slash 6847 machine that probably yeah. would have happened without so the reference design does have the SAM in it. So I'm I'm guessing that Tandy and Motorola must have made a deal where this would not be proprietary to Tandy, even though them and Dragon are pretty well the only ones that used it that I know. But yeah, Nick's right. I mean, there's a lot of things in the Coco we kind of take for granted. Uh, if they only had the 689, you only had the 6847 by itself, you wouldn't be getting any of this stuff. There'd be no semi-graphics, six or, or eight, 12, 24 modes. Um, you wouldn't be able to move video RAM on 512. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to move video RAM pointers around on 512-byte boundaries. Like, none of that stuff would work. It was, the Coco would have been just an MC10 with a with a better, better keyboard. Yeah, and better keyboard, yeah. Ah, and CPU, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, the block diagram of the Videotex 2. Do I have that one kicking around? That one, I think, actually, I can do a link on, so I'll switch. Stop my share here. So, I mean, Firefox doesn't crash. Loading, loading. Maybe it'll make it. Mine. Maybe it won't. <laughs> a bit, bit slow AI. I don't think archive.org uses that. <laughs> there we go. Finally, now I can show the screen. 
So this is an interesting one he scanned because he wasn't even sure himself what, what this was. The Video Text 2 terminal. So this is the block diagram. So you can see it's got the, the modem power supply keyboard, blah, blah, blah. But notice this, 6805 CPU. Oh. Now that, if I remember, there was a 6805 mentioned. It's kind of like the 6803 in the MC10. It's a microcontroller style. So it's a 6800 style with some extra you know, RAM on it and timers and all that kind of stuff. So there was plans on doing an updated one, apparently, of Videotex 2, but it, I don't think this ever went past this design phase here. Um, but here they got 2K by 8 RAM, so I'm assuming it was going to come with 16 Static RAM, isn't it? Uh, sure. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, the 6116 is a static RAM. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But the 6805 was a bit of a surprise because obviously they had the 6809 in the original video tech. So 6805, aside from getting some of the I.O. and you know built-in RAM and stuff on the CPU and some of the timer interrupts, is actually a step back programming-wise because it's, it's more based on the 6800 model or 6801 model than it is on the 6809 model. So that would have been an interesting change. But as far as I know, this never actually got made. It was just you know designed. That didn't like have an uh, Mark first, then Ron. This would be like a cost-reduced version. Oh, yeah, maybe, because with some of the extra stuff on the 6805, that might have eliminated some extra hardware they need. Well, with True. the static RAM, you don't need any refresh. So you, that's yeah. one way to get rid of the SAM. Oh, right. It also been a little bit faster, too, then, because you don't have to have the RAM refresh cycles snuck in. Right. So the clock's internal, not external, because it doesn't have a... Well, right. This is cheap as cheap can be. Internal clock, no, nothing extra. That's right. Yeah, I'm, I mean, following, there's a clock in two. here on the CPU, and it's coming from clock on the whatever a 1295 modulator is. That'd be your RF modulator. Which, okay, speeding the CPU. And there's an IRQ hooked up to the H sync, it looks internal like, if I'm clock. understanding this right. Oh, no, internal clocks. Are, yeah. Okay. What's right, the MS signal? Microsoft. <laughs> uh, I'll scroll down, see if there's something. Uh, no. Okay. Oh. Appears to be a normal pin in the 6847 because it doesn't say a new model of 6847. So. Might be a sync of some sort. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the pinouts in the 6847, so I couldn't even guess. But if this is really the whole thing, yeah, video text was just going to be a little postcard size board. You know, half of the a same class board. of a single player. Right. This would have been yeah. like the MC10 video text. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just a little board. Maybe they put a nice keyboard in it and away it goes. But cool. So yeah. that's all you're doing. You wouldn't be able to buy a 6805 anywhere, would you? Well, Motorola did sell them as part of this regular 6800 family right. at the time. I, I don't know if you can get them now, but... Were they numbered in the sequence, like 6800 and then 6801, 68? They were, but they didn't go in order. Like 6800 begat the 6801, which begat the 6803 and plus 6802, and there's a 6805 and 6809 is kind of its own separate branch. And I don't think there was a four. At least I've never heard of one. Yeah, I don't think I've heard of it before either, or a six for that matter. They were probably designed and thought about, but didn't go to market. Hmm. Yep. The 6800, 6801, 6803, 6802, 6809, for sure I've seen those. 
Um, I don't remember if there's any in between. Well, 6805, I guess, obviously, because uh, I did find a reference to that chip I can't, from Momoro itself. I can't get rid of the ads, but yeah, one, three, five. On the 6847, the MS is pin 12. What does MS stand for, though? I'm looking that up. <laughs> And just got the data sheet here. So 28 pages. It says it's inverted. That's a line above it. Master signal. I have no idea what that stands for. Anyway, what could have been? I'm guessing that this never saw the light because this would have been a cost reduced version of the video text, as, as several of you have mentioned here. But I think by the time this was being designed, I think that's when people figured out you can just use a computer for this. And if we're going to get people buying computers, they just add a modem to it so we can sell them a modem. Like, why would we want to make something cheaper just to hit the, you know, Dow Jones and the uh, CompuServe, et cetera. So I'm guessing basically they just figured, you know, the, the computer market's going to take over doing telecommunications. We don't need a dedicated device to do it. And that's my guess. I don't know if you guys agree with that assessment or not, but. Anyway, a little bit of interesting history there, because that, as far as I know, was never released. I don't think it even made it to the prototyping stage. Is there a Unless, bottom half to that page? Uh, nope, just the one page. That's all. Oh, there. There. That okay. was a straight scan from Jerry Heap, the engineer himself. So hmm. I think it was more just he was kind of laying out some ideas and he probably got nixed at that point. Okie dokie. Now I got to switch over to the regular news stuff. Okay, the screen should have switched over to a nice, comforting, relaxing green. No, not yet. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, what the heck happened there? Work now? Yes. Yeah. Okay, good. Lots of random letters. <laughs> it should have worked the first time. I don't know what the heck happened there. Okay, so... First up, Coco Town, who's active in our Discord as well, uh, did multiple videos this week. The first one he did here is using visualizations on the screen of how a quick sort works. Um, he's done this before for the quick sort or the uh, selection sort of which, uh, which one did he do last oh, week? I thought this was a word search puzzle. It was uh, <laughs> it was a scrambled screen, right? Yeah, well, it's basically he's he's writing the quick sort routine to, to do the sorting of, of this, you know, random pile random of letters. letters and stuff. But he actually does the visualization technique, which really explains how the algorithm works much better than saying, you know, swap elements and all this. You actually get to see, well, actually, I'll fast forward a little bit so you can kind of see the grid. So when Firefox isn't trashing me here. So using the less than and greater than how these pointers move around and how you have to keep track of different subsections as you go through, pushing them on the stack, et cetera. Number that we're considering. And that cursor is all also going to meander to the right. And at some point, that cursor and GT are going to cross over. And when that happens, we know we're done. The process of partitioning is going to divide this array up into three groups. The middle group will contain the pivot. So we're using the very first number as our pivot. And we have that in white. And anyway, if you want to learn exactly how that works there, uh, go check out his video. It's 13 minutes. I'm not going to play it all here. But... Uh... Uh, I found this was one of the better explanations I've ever seen of how QuickSort actually works versus the, um, you know, here's a paragraphs and paragraphs of the algorithm type thing or looking at raw source. If you want to actually visually understand how it works, 
I know a lot of people learn better with a visual thing, so this might actually be an easier way for you to understand it. Um, wait, and he covered um, the insertion sort. That's the one he covered previously. So this time he's covering the quick sort. And he's been doing a lot of uh, sort related. So here he does recursive quick sort and assembly. Uh, Firefox bugger off. Please skip this ad, you stupid thing. Come on, ad blocker. So anyway, what he does here is he actually goes through, like last week he had a video that Hello showed- and welcome. In that video, I'll I ran tell. and went over some code that sorts bytes in the screen buffer. And I talked mainly about the, the main loop, the glue code, and a lot about the timer, but I didn't really go over the quick sort algorithm and how that got coded up. So today, what I'd like to do is walk through that assembly code so you can see how the partitioning works and also how the recursion works. Before continuing, you will probably want to remind yourself about the quick sort algorithm and how that works. Uh, I have posted another video that shows how that works. Um, in particular, we're doing the three-way partitioning. So uh, if you don't remember all the details, and who does, uh, you might want to give that video a look before looking at this one, because this will make a lot more sense if you look at that one first. All right. So anyway, this one goes through and actually kind of falls with a debugger. <clears throat> you can actually watch the sort actually working at the assembly language level. You can see what registers are getting changed, what pointers are getting changed, et cetera. So piece. You're cutting out. And what just happened there? My mic's active too. Just having tremendous problems today. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, good. Right side. <laughs> yeah, I just woke up Nick there. So anyway, if you want to really learn about quick sort, and it is one of the fastest sorts you can do if you watch the video he did last week where he compared a bubble sort and insertion short, insertion sort and a quick sort, it's like an order of magnitude faster. So it's much faster if you're doing big, you know, big arrays of stuff that you get to sort. And then just as kind of a on the LARP type thing, assembly code that sorts itself. So he pitted all three of the sorts he did in assembly language to sort its own code and see which ones would completely crash the machine, which ones might survive, even though obviously it's not going to work properly. So this is more of a fun video, as he promises is also going to be the last on sorting he's going to be doing. But it was kind of a, a silly idea. And actually, one of the sorts actually made it out to the point where it didn't crash the machine. You could actually hit a key after the supposed sort happened. Now, sorts don't work, of course, because the code that actually tried to do the sort got sorted. So, you know, it's just random opcodes and stuff sorted. Uh, but one of them actually survived enough that it actually got to the end, didn't do the proper program, but it actually got to the exit point clean. Well, not clean, but it got to the exit point. We'd not lost control of the machine totally. So I'm not going to show you this video. If you want to see who won out of insertion sort, bubble sort, and quick sort, you're going to have to watch the video. Uh, next up, Tier City Retro Programming did another quick little update on the Kung Fu game source I gave him that I did way back in 86. So we covered a bit last week. So he's added some extra little things. I'm not going to play the video here because it's fairly minor updates. Uh, he's got his little throwing star thing where the player can throw the throwing star. But he's added these little spinning yin-yang symbols, which I won't, like I said, I won't bother playing. But basically these two things here, that's that, you know, looking at it edge on and it'll spin. So you can see the yin-yang symbols. So he just did that to give some 
background ambiance to the game. Um, and he's got the player moving forward and backwards. I don't think he has it firing the star, throwing star in both directions yet, just one direction. But uh, yeah, he made a fair bit of progress. Now I know, like like me, he's now busy. He's off his vacation type stuff, so now he's going to be busy with work and everyday life stuff. Same as I've been the last few weeks. So I haven't done any cocoa much related either. So, but I'm interested to see where he took this because he's taking this in a completely different direction than I had planned back in '86. Next up, we have Ars Technica. This is actually an article that came up back in March, but I missed it somehow. So they interviewed this guy named Brian Green, I think his name was. Yep, that sounds right. Yeah, right down here. So he, he obviously collects retro computers. You can see a ton of them here in this workspace. So he's got his whole Apple corner with Apple 3s and Macs and blah, blah, blah. And then he took other pictures, but you'll notice he's actually got a Coco 3 with an Ed Snyder keyboard, a mega yeah. or a mini MPI and a Coco SDC. And um and he's got a Coco 2 up on the shelf here too. All he's because he dragging. listened to our show. Sorry, was that Mark? All because he, a, mis- he listened dragon. to our show. Uh go back uh one or so. That one or uh, no, it's over to the uh, left side, so keep going left. Uh, keep going. Nope. Top side of the room. Keep going. There we go. Just nope. above the Mac. Oh, dragon? Oh, there's a dragon hanging out. So he's got a pretty good collection. He's got a pretty good mix. He's got like pets. He's got Amigas. He's got Atari STs. He's got Macs, Apples, Cocos, multiple Cocos, Dragon. But he has a whole article here that they interview basically interviewed him. And he also runs his own BBS, still running it after 31 years of running it. Of course, now it's done over the net instead of our phone lines, but still running it. If you want to check it out, it's uh, particles.org. It's got a dial-up number still. Right. <laughs> yeah. Old school. So it was, it was kind of nice to see the Coco was well represented with multiple ones of them. And one's actually set up as an active unit rather than on the shelf as a display unit. So more normally when you see people that have a ton of these you know, machines that you know aren't you know on our show type thing you usually don't see the coco on a prominent display it's kind of that's a, that's underneath the cupboard in the under the sink there and I'll, I'll bring it out if somebody asks type of thing and this this one is prominently so I'm kind of curious maybe I'll have to try to get a hold of Brian Green see what he's using his coco for but he's obviously keeping up with modern stuff since he's got like Ed Snyder stuff all over the place keyboard mini coco stc mm-hmm Oh, hey, Fred, you're actually on the show, I think. Are you still on? Yep, still here. I'm okay. here. <laughs> so you released, um, what version is this? 3.1B of the control well, panel. Uh, yeah, a little clarification there. So it's actually control 3.1. There are two disk images that make up this release. One is 1A and the other one's 1B. So um, if you go to my post on Facebook, which there should be a link there, I think, um, you'll find there's two files I uploaded, uh, control 3.1a and control 3.1b. You need both uh, to install uh, uh, the, uh, the program on your EOU hard disk image. So just okay. copy all the follow, uh, I'll copy all the files over and you know, and, uh, and, uh, and there's, a, there's a readme file in there with further instructions on, on how to do it. Okay. 
Now, uh, we are going to be releasing this with a one-on-one EOU, which once my work dies down enough, I can actually get it back on my Cocoa Friend length of time. <laughs> I'll try to get it finished. <laughs> um, is this kind of out for testing then at this point, or are you um, pretty confident? Uh, well, I mean, I've been running it for a few months now, and I've only found one or two bugs in all that time. I did find a bug recently, uh, a couple of weeks ago, which I quickly uh, squashed and and uh, and so this uh, this uh, image that I just you know these two images I uploaded uh, contain that fix. Um, but prior to that, it had been like two three months since I found any bugs at all. So I think it's pretty stable. But you know, uh, by all means, uh, if anybody uh, finds any additional bugs while they're using it. Please let me know. Um, I can't. Yeah, I, I feel like it's pretty well bug free, but I just uh, I'm, I guess I'm a little paranoid that there may be some further ones out there. So uh, that's kind of why I released it now rather than waiting until EOU 1.1 releases. And well, that and also I kind of promised at Coco Fest that I would release this version, um, which uh, has been delayed because I found a few bugs. So um <laughs> Don't so worry. Here you go. We'll, don't worry. We'll find more. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure yeah. you will. We'll find the rest of them. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure you will. Beta testers. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, sure I, I can help, but except, uh, except I don't know what a bug is. Oh well. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should know. Yeah, that's that's right. That's a step that other people me. code, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So all the source files are on 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 there. I think they're on the the second disk image. Uh, they're in their own separate folder. So, because um, I know a couple people asked me about, uh, yeah. you know, the source, and it's it's in there. There's a separate folder for it all. I do want to mention too, like basically, you know, EOU comes out once we get enough of a grab bag of different things done, plus some, you know, stuff that's more of the core stuff in Nitrous Nine. Um, like right now, the 101 release we're working on right now, I've, I'm doing some patches to G Shell. I'm hunting down the bug that James found with some math stuff in basic 9 on the 639 version only um so basically i don't want to hold up people releasing their own stuff that runs under eou you know waiting for me especially if my schedule goes nuts like it has the last while so please everybody if you've got other stuff don't wait for us put it out now and then we'll include it on the next one so if somebody wants to just wait and get it all in one shot they can but you don't have to wait to install this or you know the latest version of dcc by jeff because he's done a lot of changes since you know ease of use 1.0 came out so um, you know, feel free to distribute, and we'll, we'll still include them on the on the next uh, EOU release. But uh, there's you don't have to wait for us. That's what I'm trying to say. Now, I, I was Very trying good. to remember because I haven't actually had a chance to look in a while. What all did you add on this new version compared to the 1.0 release? Uh, there were EOU? well, besides uh, bug squashes, um, there were some features that uh, were suggested to me. So, for example, uh, when I was demoing this at Coco Fest. Uh, Someone pointed out that um, if you if you you know put in an invalid drive name when you're when you're changing the list of uh, you know drives that appear on on uh, on the G shell interface, um, it doesn't check to see if it's a valid drive name or not. So now it does. So uh, there's that. Um, I think I found uh, one too, didn't I? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did. <laughs> so um, let's see. I'm trying to think what else. Um, there were, um, there were some. So, is there any new features, or is it just bug fixes, basically, from the ease of use 1.0? Uh, 
Um, let's see, I'm trying to think. New features. Um, most mostly just bug fixes and improvements. Uh, that's that's about it. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> so Soupy in the chat is saying, uh, I'm just waiting for the new Troy ease of use edition, so I can include that. That's um, right. <laughs> the the problem with that is 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 twofold. One, uh Nick would never touch Nitrous Nine for doing a game. Uh he might do a Nick Basic Nine game as the Lark sometime, but um and two, I don't know if I'd allow it on there unless it's a decent version of Neutroid. So <laughs> I have a question for Fred. Sure. Is, is this what is this the project that's holding up Andark three? Uh yes. <laughs> but um however, however, I'm pretty much done with control now. I have started recently focusing on Andark three. And um and uh I uh, made a tragic mistake. I accidentally overwrote this file that contained all this uh room graphics data that uh and that set me back maybe about six months. So right now what I'm doing is I'm I'm writing a little drawing program, a custom drawing program to uh, to try to speed up the process of uh, creating, drawing, rendering the different uh, um, rooms that make up the adventure. So that's what I'm doing right now. And uh, once I'm done with that and it's progressing pretty fast, uh, then I should be able to use that drawing program to, to, to speed up the the uh the graphics creations for all the different rooms um make copies yeah right. and you learn to make backups now i, us I usually <laughs> do make backups for some reason this file i didn't back up i don't know why it's uh, and he is now know, wearing a hat because he has in fact torn all his hair out and <laughs> it, it's yeah it wasn't a total loss because most of the file was most of the data was contained in another program but what i have to do is like it's like a bunch of puzzle pieces. I have to reassemble the pieces. So um, yeah. just just remember, Fred, winners ship. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, right. my standard question is: Are you going to make a Nitrous Nine version of it? Oh yeah. Well, maybe it'll run under OS. What is it called? RSB. I don't know. Um, you know that program yeah. that runs under OS Nine? That yeah, the the Reshack Basic from. Yeah, it apparently can run some, uh, some. Yeah, as long uh, as you don't have any semi language in, and, and yeah, there might be a size limitation too. But yeah, basically it will run. You know, via uh, the yeah. There's no there's no assembly language in there, so that's good. Um, as far as the size, well, we'll see. Um, <laughs> Plus, uh, also there's the option. Jamie Cho is currently writing a uh, batch script language thing that's going to translate regular basic to basic nine. Mm. You probably will have to do some hand tweaks, I'm guessing, but it should oh, get sure. the majority yeah. of the code over for you. And then you can fancy it up with like pop-up windows and scroll bars and whatever else you need. Nice. Yeah, so it might run under RSB. I don't know. I haven't tested it. But uh, but uh, the only thing that may cause it not to run under RSB is perhaps the size of the program, but we'll see. Yeah. So if Jamie Cho gets his... Uh, Basically, on converter up by then. I mean, basically, on can actually run bigger programs than regular disk basics. So that might be a, uh, an option for you to save a lot of time if you did want to try it. I'd be kind of curious if it would work. Sure, sure, yeah, I'd be open to try it. Cool, Cur Curtis. Did you mention yep. that you're going to fix the, the next version to work with the uh, latest update for the SDC? Uh, Bill, since he's finally getting some free time again, well, once he recovers from his uh, 
accidentally right. had at work. Um, is going to be talking with Darren again about that. Um, oh, so they're going to. So it's possible they're going to do an update. You won't have. Well, to... we we know how to fix it on our end. We have to slow everything down. Well, you don't want to do that, right? No, I don't. So it's going to come from <laughs> the SCC side. Yeah, Darren's basically whatever he changed that caused it so that we're not running too fast for because we didn't change anything. Actually, the driver code that's being ran that is having the problem, Darren wrote himself several years ago. I haven't changed any of his Cocoa STC code. The only thing we changed was we added the Gimme X where we do have to slow it down a bit, even for the old version of the firmware. But the, the new version it releases even has to be slower yet. Broke his own driver. So I, I, well, I'll let Bill, because I don't really understand some of the programming stuff they're talking about there for programming, like a CPLD, et cetera. So I'll, Bill does. When you, say, when you say it's slow, is it actually visibly slower to the user or just to you who you know that takes two cycles more to do something? No, no, it's not like by cycles. It's like, you know, if you're reading a 30K file, it might take a couple seconds longer or even more than that, I, I haven't done a specific thing, but it's noticeable from the patch we did to get it to run. Oh, it's, Every, it's, everything loads it's, slower. <laughs> oh, it's, it's a loading. It's not the execution speed. No, we have to slow. Like the, the code that actually goes and tries to read, say, with a TFM off the STC controller to read a sector, you have to slow that down. You can't use a TFM. You have to disable the TFM entirely. Right. And you have to do like load A, story, load A, story, load A, story. Which is, you know, twice as slow. I mean, there's a few programming tricks I could probably speed it up a bit, but we'll never match TFM speed. There's nothing on the 6809 or 639 that can match a TFM doing a memory copy speed-wise, not even close. Not even stack blasting can do that. And you can't do stack blasting on a fixed I.O. address. So that's that's the reason I would rather see him fix it so that, you know, we can just leave the driver alone and just let it run at the speed it is. Because the whole point of Nitrous 9, I mean, it's in the name, Nitro. You want it to run yeah, faster, yeah. not slower. <laughs> right. I'm not calling it, you know, a slog fest 09 or <laughs> turtle 09 or something like that. So, yeah. Quick question for, oh, sorry. <laughs> Quick question. Oh, um, besides Facebook, is there any other place that anyone would recommend that I upload uh, this version of Control to? Discord and the Color Computer Archive. Discord, Color Computer Archive. Okay. Um, now, where in Discord should I upload it? Um, was, I Probably was the Nitro Stein EOU channel, or you can put okay. in the general OS9 Nitro Stein channel. Okay. Or does it work with older versions of OS9? I've, I don't know if you tried. Um, probably not, because I think there's some new uh, syscalls that uh, have been included in EOU that aren't in standard OS9 uh, okay. that probably wouldn't work. Yeah. Fred, are you going to make a video showing how to install these things? Uh, uh sure, yeah. Because <laughs> that would be that would do it. The, the real, what that means is not until right now. <laughs> yeah, there's like I said, I tried to be really thorough in the README file that I included. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. uh, Hopefully that will. Yeah. The nice thing about Control it. Panel, it's it's not a it's not a part of the OS itself. It's a program that runs under the OS. So you don't have to like fiddle with boot files and. Quick gen and all this other kind of right. stuff is basically just so copying the files. So it just has to be present time. in the list of programs that you're going to run. Type of yeah, thing. It, it, yeah. You're there's there's uh, executables that you need to uh, to copy to the CMDS directory. There's a few uh, data files, a couple data files you need to copy to the sys directory, um, and that's it. I mean, there's a bunch of other files on there, but it's like source files and so on, which are not necessary for running the program. <laughs> 
Yeah. Then then why are they there? Just people, people that want to learn it. how it works and stuff or <laughs> want to try changing something they can do that oh yeah so inclined. Okay. I had a, yeah i had a couple of requests to include the source so I'm like, okay, okay. yeah fun. i don't know we include all the source for stuff on nitrous 90 eou releases themselves anyway you can look at the current versions of g shell the operating system basically all that source is there too oh um you were asking before about uh if it works with standard os9 my original first version of control control 1.0 and I think maybe 2.0, uh, which I think are out there still somewhere. <laughs> Those I think would be compatible with standard OS 9. So maybe I can re-upload them so that uh, so one day more in the easily future, find them. One day in the future when uh, Deskmate works with Nitrous 9, <clears throat> would uh, the interface of the color stuff switch or work, you know, nope. inside of no. Okay, nope. you knew but the, the deskmate self-contained. Desk deskmate's totally yeah. self-contained. It doesn't call any right. of the standard multi-view stuff at all. It doesn't even. I've actually, if I remember correctly, deskmate was actually out before uh, multi-view was out, so they didn't have it ready for them to use to program it in. Yeah, okay. I remember back in the day, I was trying to decide between deskmate or OS nine, and uh, I chose OS nine because it seemed more flexible you know you could you know mm. use whatever programs you wanted with it where deskmate had kind of like a fixed set or a fixed suite of apps yeah um, like you can't run a game from deskmate yeah yeah all right well that's it <laughs> okay cool okay so uh chibia kumis is uh continued on with his 609 programming series, he's got part two video out, and this is where he talks about uh, 609 extensions for doing shifts, compares, and logical operations. So this is like the OIM, EIM, TIM commands, and some others too, um, which are pretty unique to the 6309, I think. Some of those in-memory ones are actually on one of the other 6800s, uh, the 0 through 5, or I can't remember which one specifically, but I remember the non-commature was there before. Nomenclature, I should say. Um, and he's got a part three already kind of on the way. So you, if you want to go through the part two here, which covers these, the next ones will be covering like TFMs and some of the other exciting stuff. Now, one thing I learned, which I did not realize, is that actually has text versions that kind of describe what his videos are about. And that is actually ahead of the videos. So he actually does have part three already in here that you can actually scroll down to and look. So this, and it, I like the way he's got this all color coded and stuff. So it looks like a 1989 web page. With garish colors all over the place, it looks like it was made on GeoCities or something. It's kind of retro in itself. I like that. Um, but here, here's lesson one: getting started with six or nine. So he kind of goes through the stuff he covered in the first video we covered a couple of weeks ago. Here's lesson two, the one I just talked about. But if you keep scrolling down, he's already got level lesson three. The text version is already on here. Exactly what he's going to be covering. So if you want a sneak preview? You can actually jump in and take a look at that. And he, he he's quite liking the CPU. I think he you know some of the choices are a little bit odd, and I have to agree. There's a few bits that are a little bit uh, strange, but uh, but yeah, he'll be covering like the hardware multiplying divides, uh, bulk memory transfers, uh, push W, pull W, bit uh, test and set. This is for some of the uh, bit manipulation operations, which 
we haven't used as much in Nitrous 9. There's a few specific ones that are kind of good because you can read a bit from one bit position into another bit position and register and invert it at the same time, optionally, if you want to. Um, normally, you, these things take enough bytes and cycles, you probably wouldn't do that. But if you're reading from hardware, but you have to translate a bit position to something else for the operating system to use, uh, then it becomes quite useful because you can do it in one command. So I have to do a load and mask shifted three or four times and then or it back into a register. It just becomes a single command. So it's it's useful that's for that type of thing. What was that? Oh, that's interesting to me. Yeah, you might be able to use it in your uh, drivers. Now, there's some severe limitations on some of these bit uh, manipulation things. Like it only works on the A, B, and CC registers. And I think it only supports direct page addressing mode. I remember some of them do. AIM and OAM you can do with anything like indexed, extended, indirect, you know, direct page, whatever. But these bit manipulation ones at this level here, these are the ones that are basically just for direct page, if I remember correctly. So a bit more limiting, but you could reset the direct page to like a hardware IO address or something if you wanted to, depending on what you're whether you're doing a read reading or write. Or if you want to just copy the byte you got from the controller into a direct page and then do all the manipulation from there, it might still be smaller and faster than doing it all manually depending on how much shifting you have to do because we're at an interesting time at one time you would just take a nice atmel chip and do everything in your firmware and shove it to the coco pre-done but those chips aren't around right now so tricks like this might be yeah as long as you don't mind having it restricted to 6309 versus 6809 yeah oh i didn't catch that part sorry <laughs> oops <laughs> Okay, I need to make some uh, MC10 things, I guess. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good series. His 69 series is really good. He actually did series, you know, for the Dragon, the Coco, showing how to use the VDG. He's done some stuff on the Gimme as well. So he's covered quite a bit of stuff. And he's got his courses published, actual physical books. You can get uh, a two-part series on different CPUs, one which includes the 6809. And I think he used the Dragon and the Coco samples on that one too, as well as the Vectrix. I think he's covered a little bit of too. So, um. Definitely knows his stuff. Okay, next one up. This is just a software portal page. If you're actually a paying customer of this, you'll be able to get uh, this here. But this is basically is an update from Eric Canales that he announced in our Discord. He's got another update to his 6 Dev 09 assembler, cross-assembler. Build 18 is now available to people who have purchased it at this particular website here. The updates, he listed our small bug fixes, fixed some activation issues, added a splash screen, added main Two or 0.257 support added new machines, carts, and ROMs in line with MAME 2.257. Added RS232 support, fixed window sizing on start, and install fonts when using the installer. So it's you know it's gradually progression progressing more and more. And I think he actually mentioned on the uh, Discord channel devoted to his product here that there's some other changes done that are coming up soon too, from some reports he had from people. I'd like to add the way you get into this is you support him through Patreon. You uh, there's a couple of different levels you can support at, and then you get access to the website and the downloads. If you watch the Vintage Geek channel, you know that we love Radio Shack and we also love robots. And today we get to experiment with both. This is Roby Senior, and we're going to be talking about him right here on Vintage Geek. So anyway, I'm not going to play the rest of the video, but this is uh, Aaron from uh, the Vintage Geek Museum in. Uh, Ken, what was the name of the town he's in? It's in Tennessee. Was it Knoxville? 
Yes, I think it was. I just don't know why I blanked that. Anyway, uh, he's a he's a really cool guy, and he's got an action museum you can actually go in and try stuff in. But uh, we saw some of this stuff not operating. Now they're still working on fixing Ruby Junior. There's a cassette deck interface in there where you can actually record programs. You can do this from the Coco uh, to give it commands to follow as this kind of a script. And uh, they hadn't got the cassette player running at proper speed yet, so it can't read the tapes properly. But they're working on that. But you can remote control it, and they do go through some of the you know history of the robot and the interior, what it looks like and stuff. But I thought it was kind of cute because they actually have it delivering in its tray here, the Coco version of Seamus. At the end of the video, he actually drives it around. He's trying to take it to the Coco to go try it out. So I thought that was pretty cool. But it kind of has a couple of different Coco and Radio Shack related things. So I think you guys would get a kick out of this one. Uh, anyway, you can go check him out at the Vintage Geek on YouTube. Next up for Spanish speakers out there, uh, Spanish YouTube channel Retro Computer, which we have covered a couple times before. Did an episode here that's a little bit over 20 minutes covering the multi-pack interface. Uh, in this case, he shows it with the Coco uh, 2, and he mentions specifically for the Coco 3. Now, he shows it with running a mixture of just, just say, having four game cards, so you just flip the switch between them if you want to just switch which game cartridge you want to play. Uh, he also shows, you know, using it with some extra hardware, like, you know, floppy drives and the Coco STC, et cetera, too. So you can turn on the Google Translate if you actually want to watch it. You can just turn on closed captioning, and then it should pick the automatic Spanish to English translation or you might have to click the setting wheel and, and do that yourself i'll just play a little tiny clip of it here Muy buenos días. Bienvenidos a nuestro canal oh yeah they also broke a thousand subscribers so i don't know if we had anything to do with that or not i know i've plugged this channel a few times but they fix them quick so he brings out the old multi-pack and he's got the um, middle-aged one, I guess. It's not the old original gray, but it's the full-size white. And the closed captioning on this one here, actually, the translation works pretty good. It's I've seen it sometimes where it goes like quite often. It's hard to understand. This actually went through pretty well. This is AI in action. Yeah, <laughs> you're absolutely right. <laughs> No, it's a piece of software running that someone wrote. Muy bien. Entonces funciona perfecto. Lies, lies, it's all Skynet. There <laughs> <laughs> he talks about the upgrade for the Coco 3. Um, and he talks about the third model of the multi-pack itself, which is the smaller, narrow, tandy-branded one. There it screwed up. The AI. Because I just mentioned a Coco 13, which never happened. It's like a Tesla car driving into a river. <laughs> that's happened. But that's when they don't have time to spontaneously light on fire, too. So. No, that, 
That, that's called a bug. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty, pretty good. I, I like the fact he's doing it. Now, one, at one point in the video here, he had mentioned, and I think he's from Colombia. I don't think he's from Brazil. I think he's from Colombia. But he mentioned that the Cocoa was, I think, a second or third most popular machine there out of all the 8-bits at the time, which kind of surprised me. Um, we've we've got a lot of you know information from the people in Brazil, and basically Brazil just had these very loose copyright laws and just cloned everything, so then you know no actual cocos were really sold, or spectrums or anything else for that matter, because they just cloned everything, including apples. I know Mark's talked about that in the past as well, but it sounds like there they actually did get the actual Tandy Radio Shack cocos, and it was one of the more popular eight bits out of all the eight bits, so that was kind of fascinating. So maybe he'll follow up a bit on that later in the future. I'd be kind of curious to see. You know how how well it did versus some of the other machines at the time, like Atari's and Commodore, etc. Uh, next up, we have uh, Johan Coleman. He's working on an emulator for the Spectrum to emulate an MC10, and uh, because of the way the Spectrum does its color of high-res graphics, where you can change the foreground and background color in every eight by eight cell. He's actually had to shrink the character. So the top here is showing a real MC10 with a VDG. And so what is it? An 8 by 12 pixel grid, I think, the VDG uses. And he's had to reduce it to an 8 by 8 here. So obviously, you know, if you had a lowercase one, it's going to cut off the bottoms, etc. Um, and he's had to proportionally shrink the graphic blocks so they're much more square to get rid of the extra pixels. Because you can only set the foreground and color on 8 by 8 pixel at, or attributes in 8 by 8 pixel grid. So you can't do like a half you know, the next four line, scan lines with a different um, right. color setting. So he's going to kind of crunch it down to get it to work. But it should, you know, basically emulate fine. It's, it's just a slightly changed character set. You can see the difference there. So he kind of posted this up in the MC10 Facebook group just to show, you know, how his progress has been working on getting the character set translated. And I think it'll work pretty good. Um, since he proportionally changed the semi-graphics characters there, I think even the graphics stuff should look fairly decent. So... Kind of curious. Now, he's playing and running this on the Spectrum. Now, the Spectrum is a Z80-based machine, if I remember correctly. Great. I think if he's yeah. running it on a real one, I can't imagine the speed being too good on that. But there is the Spectrum Next, which is kind of a a modern version of the Spectrum that you know can really crank up the speed because it's based on a FPGA or something. So that, I, I think, I'd see it running really well. And I guess, you know, depending on how he does his emulation here if he does like a basic interpreter where he's emulating basic and then translating it directly to native you know code on the on the spectrum itself rather than instruction by instruction then he might be able to keep the speed up a fairly decent amount but uh interesting to see where this goes there's a lot of spectrum people that are uh on the amigas discord channel and i'm sure some of them will follow this a little bit too and i'll interesting to see what their take of it is here's a reminder for the dragon meetup 7th of 8th of october Center of Commuting History in Cambridge, which I already covered, so we'll skip by. Um, thanks to Karen here, because I actually accidentally wrote down, there's been two people doing a lot of hardware for the uh, Dragon the last year or so. Uh, John Whitworth, who runs Dragon Plus Electronics, and Julian Brown has been doing these replacement keyboards and motherboards for some of the Dragon line. And I actually had the wrong name in my show notes, so he corrected that, and I've corrected the show notes that are up on the Discord. So thanks, Karen. And uh, basically, Julian is working on his new keyboard PCBs. Now, this is basically doing something similar to what Rick Eulen did. If the membrane keyboard, you know, the underside of the keyboard that actually has electronics on it gets wrecked, he makes a, a replacement that's an actual circuit board, not the Mylar, so it doesn't, you know, kind of wear itself out too fast. I think if I remember the Dragon, did it have Mylar or was it actually real 
printed circuit board. I can't remember. It my head. had switches to start with. Okay. But I have heard that there's been you know, people that have had cracks go through them or whatever, so that they actually do get messed up. So he's doing one. And he's been, you know, playing with sizes to get it to exactly right. He had a couple of posts here. So it's kind of using a stack board thing where he's got to do the connector here to connect the two together. But he's pretty well got it going at this point to do the full replacement. So um, if you do need to replace a Dragon keyboard for any reason, you will soon have a, an option to do it. Um, with keys at least as good as the originals. And that's all there is for the news this week. <clears throat> um, there's one other thing going on. I think uh, tomorrow, Terry Steggy gets married. Is that tomorrow? I think so. I knew he was getting married. I did, because uh, he had mentioned uh, he was going to be gone for a while on his honeymoon, but Yep. Um that's so, why he's not on the show. Okay. Yeah, yeah no. Yeah, who would think marriage would be important to you know get away from oh, the show? He, he should have got that's... married on the show. That yeah. would have been yeah. cool. Right. <laughs> marriage is pretty important. I just that, turned... that would increase our ratings. Yeah, but right? they could do it on a Wednesday. Ron Ron could have sent him the William Tell overture. They could have played that in instead of Here Comes the Bride, you know, type thing. It'd been perfect. Basically, what you're saying is that we all failed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been married 49 years yesterday. Yeah, well, that's your problem. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> it really isn't. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> actually, Ron, what we are is all jealous that you have a wife that actually doesn't mind you doing this hobby. That's, 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 that's right. Yeah. That allows yeah. you to have a garage full of stuff. Like, I don't think any of the rest of us can claim that. Well, um, you, you should talk to her sometime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is there some Whoever secrets hidden under that we don't know about? Whoever <laughs> on the show, it, it, I just picked up this uh, cassette recorder yesterday. What are you going to get rid of? And I go, my other one. He goes, what other one? How are you going to get rid of it? I don't know. Let me think about it. <laughs> when I first, when I first moved into my house, uh, like six years ago. I proposed that I set up the cocoa system in our bedroom, and my wife was like, "Oh no, 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 no!" And so I was banished to the basement. That's where my cocoa stuff is. Down but doesn't the basement have more room than the bedroom anyway? It's probably a plus. Uh, probably, yeah. <laughs> it's bad if you wake up in the morning and turn to your cocoa and say, "Hi, baby." <laughs> uh oh that, that's happened on occasion at least oh. when the coco's running on an emulator on my laptop then you know that could happen <clears throat> when i get nitrous nine to assemble and not have any bugs on the assembly i can, might say that once or twice i don't know well that was <laughs> everything we had on the agenda for today yep we still managed and, to bang uh, out a three and a half hour show okay. One, one quick reminder, it's scheduled for September the 9th, I think it is. Yeah, I'm waiting. I, I just sent an email this morning, so I'm waiting for a confirmation on it. But we should have Mark and Charlie from portococo.com on for an interview. And that's the people, of course, did the wireless Coco stuff we saw at Coco Fest. So uh, both father and son should be on the show for an interview on September the 9th. I did uh, get a message back from Doug Maston, who we originally scheduled for being on the show a little while ago, but he ended up having pretty major surgery. He's still in recovery. He's still going through rehab and stuff, but he's making progress. Um, no setbacks. So he's hoping by 
you know, October-ish that uh, we should be able to to go on because he's going to be in, in phys- physio for a while. But uh, things are going well there, so that's good to hear. And I'm going to start reaching out. There was a bunch of other people I asked if they wanted to be interviewed, you know, in the fall, and they all said, yeah, sure. And then I haven't heard anything back since. So I got to try to track some of these people down. Okay. Ready for the outro? Yep. This concludes another episode of The Coco Nation, the world's leading live interactive talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things The Coco Nation, visit us on the web at thecoconation.com. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to show at thecoconation.com. The Coco Nation show would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. The Coco Nation theme song copyright 2022, D. Bruce Moore, mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. The Coco Nation is over. Join us on the Coco Discord server. Coco forever. You know, the next time Bruce Moore comes on the show, his son will probably be taller than him. (laughs) He hasn't been on in a while, has he? Well... Come on on, bud, if you're watching. Okay. Well, until next week. Yep. See you all next week. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Charles will.